Hi, Tom. So it's been a few weeks. I've got a few yeah. topics. I bet you do. <laughs> do you have any topics you want to start us well, off? Well, with? just one. Well, actually, a couple. But uh, I, when I when you were you sent out a post, you know, just before you were le- you left, I think. Uh, you know, maybe you, you were the night before or something. In, in any case. Um, I, it was a, and it was a message. No, it was, it was a post on your Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I was going to write, geez, I sure hope your plane doesn't crash. <laughs> and, and of course I didn't actually post that, but it struck me. I mean, if I, I mean, I, I haven't flown a lot, but I, um, I can, every time I fly, I, first thing that crosses my mind, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I've noticed that there's this tendency to not want to think about stuff like that, that somehow if you think it, it'll jinx something or other. I don't think <laughs> yeah. we might have discussed this topic. In fact, I'm pretty sure that we have, like just really? both of us have forgotten it. I've known two people that have died in plane crashes. Uh, one was the stepmother of a girlfriend of mine who died in a, I think a 737 crash into the side of a mountain in Malaysia. And I knew another woman who was going to be an investor in one of my startups who died in early October in 2000. And her light plane basically flew into a mountain and all that was left was a kind of mangled watch that had been on her hand. But basically everyone was vaporized through that. Yeah. When you've known people that have died in plane crashes, you start to realize that irrespective of whatever statistics they say, associated with flying, there are real things associated with flying. I like to get my businesses in order. I released all my podcasts before I left. I made sure I had nothing on my hard disk. I also told my co-workers where various bits of stuff were (laughs) if they needed it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. My perspective in regards to flying is, um, yeah, look, I mean, language monkeys repairing big yeah, planes. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, you know, it's just... Yeah. You know, well, what I don't like about it is it's just totally out of my hands. Yeah. You know, I mean, I at least I have the illusion of being in control when yeah. I'm driving. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But just sitting there at the, at the mercy of language monkeys and Bob, uh, <laughs> you know, is just... Well, it's it's just interesting how, and I don't know if this is just me. I, I suspect it's fairly widespread, but this this idea of just recoiling at the idea of thinking about that thought, even though it's lurking around, mm. that somehow you're you're not supposed to address it directly or something. Well, I mean, traveling to Australia historically, or traveling from Australia, I'd always hit the equatorial jet stream. Yeah, the equatorial yeah, that's... jet stream gives you <laughs> yeah. two hours plus worth of turbulence that. Once you emerge from it, you're a completely different person. And these <laughs> yeah. kind of baptisms in travel are certainly things, because, I mean, by the time I started flying seriously, I already had the better part. Well, no, I didn't really have the better part of a physics degree. I had at least high school physics. Yeah. So I understood that if the plane were to drop, as it did, I had a flight where the plane was hit by lightning when I was about 17, and the plane dropped and people stopped screaming. Like, we must have been in free fall for... People stopped screaming? Yeah. They were screaming before that, and then they stopped when the... No, there's a period of time where you continue to fall where people just stop screaming. Oh, like, I see. It's a period of time where people yeah. will scream. How long? How, what's that uh, time frame? It felt like a It minute. felt like five minutes, probably. It felt more than a minute. It was actually <laughs> yeah. sufficiently turbulent that it was raised in Parliament. Like, it was like a well-documented near... 
you know, it was a near yeah. miss situation yeah. with a novice pilot and a series of circumstances that. So after that experience, my mother decided to move to Malaysia. So in order to see my mother and my brothers, I had to fly for eight hours. Mm. And um, my grandfather was a doctor, and I got a prescription for Valium that I took on one flight up to Malaysia and kept one for the flight back. But that worked real nice, didn't it? Uh, it was different. Um, <laughs> but then, I mean, I think you have to be, you have to be, have a sense of peace, basically, that if you are to be, in this case, you know, potentially disappear in the Pacific Ocean or, you know, all these kind of things that oh, you yeah. just, you know, you can't do anything. Well, everybody, I think, imagines the last minute of that. You know, when it's clear, it's over, but it's just about you haven't hit the ground yet. Well, (laughs) in this flight where people stop, from that flight, I also had a flight where the rudder jammed um, over Germany, (laughs) and they said, they normally say it in like German and English, and then they just said it in German, and people started praying, and the kid next to me started eating cheese chocolate furiously. (laughs) And like, when are they going to say it in English? And then, because of the nature of the maneuver of the plane, you realize that something had seriously gone wrong. And I mean, I've had various other you know, shaken yeah. experiences. And I think the funny thing is this trip, the equatorial jet stream really didn't do that much. We had a small amount of turbulence over like Numea or somewhere like that. Yeah. But the rest of it was pretty, I mean, it was kind of nuisance stuff because they were moving up and down, but I think the electronics is now sufficiently good that they can capture almost all yeah. turbulence in their radar. Well, they can, they can capture the turbulence, uh, you know, in telescopes. Mm. to adjust the mirror, yeah. you know, in millisecond levels. So I would imagine they have something a little bit like that working on airplanes. Well, I didn't fly United this time, and I think United is basically stuck in the 90s in terms of the technology that they have. <laughs> That's so good. That's encouraging. My perspective <laughs> is probably if I avoid United and these kind of things. But really, the more – I found this because I flew almost continuously for three and a half months through 1999. And by the end of that, I was just used to everything. I mean, it yeah. was just yeah. your sense. You become so overwhelmed with sense information when you yeah. fly. So, yeah, I think the main thing, this trip, the jet lag was pretty intense. And I think as I get older, I'm just going to get more and more, you know, jet lag is just going to become more and more yeah. of an issue to the point where we've talked about stopping in Hawaii if we were to go to Australia next ah, time. So at least we a- could have a, a night of sleep and then get on the plane. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 But there are a number of ways to do it civilized, and this one we had relatively limited time, and we just did it the way that we did it. But well, there's light light therapy now, too. Have you looked into that? Yeah, I do things like that. I do typically heavy exercise light therapy, so I like I will have intense, if I'm not outside in the sunlight, I'll certainly have intense bulbs around me. Yeah. But also I do a lot Does that of- actually I mean, make a noticeable difference? Have you... Not noticeable. Yeah. My perspective is actually that a lot of these r- remedies, and they have... um. They have a chemical that begins with M. Marijuana. They, no. <laughs> that, uh, you know, they recommend for, and that never worked for me either. That's supposed to, like, yeah. for about 30% of the population, it's like a sleeping pill, and it doesn't work that way for me, and it also doesn't recalibrate my sleep. So, yeah, yeah it's just a few days of feeling genuinely cruddy and, like, yeah. falling asleep in spot, which I've had on this trip, both when I got to Australia and when I got back. You just literally... Your eyes are open one minute, and then you're asleep the next. And then you kind of like, what, did I fall asleep? And, you know, you have these kind of interactions. But yeah, flying is so much part of my existence that I try to minimize it because I don't particularly enjoy it. But when I have to do it, I just have to do it. And usually, yeah. actually, the stress involved in in contemplating it is probably far worse than actually doing it. And 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you've got circumstances like what happened to Malaysian Airlines and also what happened to Malaysian Airlines. But, uh, <laughs> and don't yeah. forget Malaysia Airlines. Yeah. <laughs> Although I don't think a third thing happened to them. Well, not this year. Yeah. Well, I've flown Malaysian <laughs> Airlines historically. It's one of the few carriers where the stewardesses or the whatever you call them will stand up through the takeoff and the landing, which I've never seen on any other carrier. But yeah. that was just a curiosity. Um, yeah, it's... um. I don't know. I mean, you've just got to be at peace when you fly. And if you're well, not when at peace you get when on, you fly, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. I've only flown a few times, but I mean, yeah. I just get on. I figure, fuck it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm yeah. handing everything over to them. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. They do have a number of checklists. I mean, they do have a number of mechanisms which go beyond standard human competency. You're oh, not no. Well, it has a very good record. Yeah. The, you know, I mean, they do very yeah. well, except. <laughs> when it, when it's don't. just when they don't do well, it's really a big problem. Yeah. You know, if my brakes go out or something, yeah. you know, I, I can maybe do something about it. You yeah, know? I mean, in the 747s, you're dealing with 200 and something people. I mean, possibly 300 if the flight yeah. is packed. The flights were packed on either way. But you're dealing with a large number of people. And yeah, I mean, these new super planes, it's the modern world. It's how I can talk to you yeah. in California. I mean, you know, these yeah. things have to happen. Which may be a theme through some of those topics. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, personally, if you posted that, it just would have been the classic Heronstein post. Slightly well, inappropriate, slightly edgy, yeah. and, you know, <laughs> it would have written itself. I wouldn't have been a fan. Well, I don't think I would have been the most popular person on the site at the time if anyone else read it. Yeah. Well, you never are. So why? No, that's true. Now, I shouldn't worry know? about it. Well, I, I just didn't know how. Well, I, I just didn't know how you would take it, and, and because I, you know, I mean, I assume you're semi-rational anyway, you know. But well, I think after you've known people, I mean, particularly yeah. these two people had children. It certainly their deaths affected their children quite dramatically. Uh, and, well, and everybody they knew, and well, I mean, but primarily they had young children, and when huh. you know, when particularly mothers with young children pass away, you know. It's a mess. Yeah, absolutely. So, and also, I mean, I think it's very statistically interesting that just as a kind of meandering ape-like creature through the globe, I can have that kind of statistic. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. The amount of energy we have available to us as individuals is so astounding when you think about it. just just getting in a car and driving to work, moving a couple tons of metal at 60 miles an hour, oh, yeah. uh, you know, as a routine. Yeah. And I think we must use more energy in a day than a Homo erectus used in his whole lifetime. Oh, easily. I would (laughs) think in in an hour. I mean, if you're driving, yeah. yeah. I mean, just using a laptop. Yeah, just, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, just the amount of power. I'm just, just thinking of kilowatts, you know. uh, But yeah, it's, it's just astonishing, you know, that that's why it didn't make any difference that we had a bunch of language monkeys on the planet. (laughs) It's because they, they had no power. Yeah. They couldn't do anything, yeah. you know, outside of the things all the other animals could do. This is why it really might be helpful if we began to wake up, <laughs> you know, mm. when you're wielding as much power as we are. It, yes. It's just amazing. You said you had another topic. Oh, let me take a look here. Oh, it was just a, qu- a general question. How many, I assume it's, well, terabytes or petabytes. I'm not quite sure which one it might But how much data is in movement at any given moment on on earth on average do you have any sense of what that is uh i would say it would be more than petabytes oh really yeah 
Really? Yeah. <laughs> I would imagine, I mean, just, just the, just the statistics associated with Netflix alone. Well, that's what I'm thinking. And between, and Netflix and YouTube, those two account for what, 50% of, of all the, the data? Or do you know what it is? I think it's, it's of that order. Yeah. It's not more. Yeah. Um, no, it's quite extraordinary. And my suspicion is that this is only going to be increasing. Oh, yeah. At an exponential yeah. rate. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, if, if for a while until it's, until everybody's streaming all the time and that'll, that'll, that'll be enough. <laughs> well, the quality of streaming is changing. Yes. So yeah. the standards better, associated yeah. with streaming yeah. are improving dramatically. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm still just so encouraged, uh, looking forward to my 8K monitor when, <laughs> when, when it comes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> now we have that annual Hajj coming up, WWDC. So, yeah. Uh, well, there actually has been a rumor that there is going to be an 8K iMac already. Mm. But I, I, I don't lend that much credence. I just. Yeah, I think the rumors are, I mean, in the long term, we still don't have my Apple ring yet, but we seem to have almost every other peripheral that has been rumored so far. Yeah. Um, yeah. What else? Well, the car and the TV. Yes. <laughs> but, but yes, I got a new watch band through the week and it uh-huh. has changed my relationship with my watch. And you, you really like uh, your Apple watch. Uh, I like it with the watch band now. When it had the um, kind of plasticky blue thing that was a little yeah. curious, but now it's just like a regular watch with a bunch of additional stuff. Yeah, yeah. And what kind of band is it now? Uh, it's the black leather band. Oh, yeah. It's a not, yeah. That, yeah. I, if I was to get one, I'd, I'd get the sport space gray with the black band. That uh, <laughs> That's definitely the one. Yes. I don't know. the Yeah, the, the plastic bands. I don't know. I mean, my wife has one I'd... My coworkers have them, but yeah, for me, the leather band is also smaller, so you don't have like the long. And did you get uh, the big one or the small one? Uh, well, I need the big one because I have a big watch. So that's I what I really mean. Have... That's what that's what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, forty-two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and your wife got a small one. Yeah. Well, originally I was getting the small one, but I got the developer one, and she got the small one that I was originally going and, to. Have. And what do you think about? Because I I was looking at that and thinking. The big ones look a little big, but then on the other hand, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to get your finger on it. Yeah, that know. is one thing that I've realized, actually, is that I don't think I could get a small one now I've had a big one. Because there are even circumstances with a big one where your fingers are yeah. just a little bit too big. Yeah, yeah. So, all the swiping... Well, maybe you need to get a stylus. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to happen with them. But no, I, like, I genuinely enjoy it. And I mean, in terms of when I was in Australia, it tracked my walking and it tracked a wide variety of things for me. And it indicated really that I was burning a huge amount of energy when I was in Australia, mm-hmm. um, which was very refreshing to know because mm-hmm. it meant, you know, if I wanted yeah, fish having and chips data, at some yeah, point, yeah. I could have fish and chips quite yeah. comfortably and not <laughs> concern myself. In fact, one evening I had burnt so much energy, I had fish and chips followed by ice cream. <laughs> Unprecedented. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I mean, in terms of traveling with the watch, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It assisted with the flight a little bit because it gave me relatively accurate time and comparative time and all these things that you don't normally get, although they do now have screens in the, you know, to tell you where you are and what time it is. But the ability to just look down and fall asleep and wake up, as I did on the flight back, was quite good. Mm. And I do actually genuinely have anxiety when someone actually takes the watch from me, which I found quite strange. I found Why would anybody take the watch oh, from you? 
you know, they're looking at some feature or, you know. Oh, I mean, when you're handing it to somebody. Yes, I pass it to them and then they play with it for about five minutes and then they give it back. So, it has. Okay, and you you start feeling separation anxiety. Yeah, it has some strange connection with me, (laughs) and particularly now as the band that I like. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe someday I'll end up with them. I I looked at them, but I just, like I say, I haven't worn a watch. Yeah, I think the first generation probably isn't going to have enough features. But, I mean, my perspective is, and I don't know this to be fact, but my perspective is if you look at HealthKit and you look at all the stuff, particularly associated with mineral analysis, my perspective is probably the next version, the version after that, or maybe the fourth edition. Yeah, whatever. Sweat analysis, and we'll be able to tell you exactly what you're losing. Well, and and plus all the software developers are now thinking about this thing. Who knows what they're going to come up with? With. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, three, uh, that's what I'm figuring on. Three to five years, maybe, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe I'll end up with one. Yeah. And, and the watch is, of course, actually, I mean, the watch is the least interesting part of the whole thing. I mean, who cares? Well, know? this is just currently, I mean, it's very similar to the original generation iPhone in terms of power and processing and this kind of stuff. Although, it, in fact, yeah. it's actually more powerful than the first generation. Oh, I iPhone. would imagine. Yeah. But in terms of the functionality and what they've opened it up for, yes, I mean, it's still very timid in that light, but give it time. Yeah. It's, it's going to be fun watching it. Yeah. Well, the idea of, yeah, of, the idea makes sense. It's just, I, I just, I'm just not used to wearing anything anymore. Mm. And I, took pride. I've got yeah. an ego thing involved in it now. It's amazing how yeah. easy I went back to it because I was originally very concerned associated with that. And yes, it felt a little funny for the first day, but now it's just like, yeah. in fact, it feels, I've taken it off now just yeah. in order to record Stone Age so I don't have beeping and various other things. And I do notice that it's off more than when it's on. I've also realized actually that I need to start wearing it. Like I take it off in the evening, but I think there might actually be benefit for me wearing it through the evening as well. Because well why can... take it off at all? I mean, uh, I don't know, just as a ritual thing, and maybe uh, for charging, but the charging is actually. Oh, yeah, you got to charge it. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> okay. So I figure I can probably charge it between like 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. quite comfortably. Yeah. Or just, you know, throw yeah. it off and when I get the first beam of light hitting me, and then it'll yeah. charge by the time I'm actually awake. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, it'd be fun to have one. I, I almost sort, sort of feel sorry for, not sorry for myself, but that I just don't get to play in the game. Mm. <laughs> it's not really, I mean, the thing that it struck me about it is that it's quite esoteric currently, but if it moves in the direction that it appears that it'll be moving towards, then, yeah, it'll be something worth playing with for everyone. For now, yeah. it's, it's an early adopter device, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well... Yeah, for me, watch is for telling time, and I don't really need anything to tell time because I don't live on a minute-by-minute schedule, yeah. you know, and I have my phone if I need to know what time it is, yeah. you know, and usually, you know, once a day, you know, that may come up when I, I you know, a couple of times a day, maybe, and that, and I just say, Siri, what time is it? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that's not too tough, so... That's what I'm trying to think. What, yeah, for my lifestyle right now, it's just, I, I don't know how that would work, but, but I can see that in a couple of years, mm. uh, as it changes and as I change, that, uh, I might well have one. Tracking exercise is certainly something that I'm finding very interesting. And uh-huh. it is something where if I haven't made an exercise goal through the day, I can go for a walk with my spiritual advisor in the evening quite comfortably and meet yeah. those things. Yeah. So, I mean, that is one thing that you might be able to utilize in terms yeah. of, you know. Well, my exercise, I have a re- regular exercise schedule that I mm. follow. So, I mean, I know where I am with that, you know, because I, I, it's a separate issue for me, you know, so, yeah. 
Yeah, I've been pretty good with keeping up with my exercise, although, God damn it, I sure don't like it. Mm. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the night before, I think, ah, yeah, tomorrow, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, I get up and I go, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so, how's your wine glass looking? Um, uh, Really bad. You you can tell by the tone of the voice. I, no, I can the tell by the, 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 I mean, the tone of the voice. The depth oh. of the sip was enough to tell me. Ah, well, I thought maybe it was the sound of the glass hitting. Oh, the table. that also yeah. could have given it, but actually, the <laughs> sip was a deep sip, which indicated it needed to be filled. Yeah, okay, I'll be right back. Before we get into the melees of turbulent free Australia, at least turbulent in the flight over and the flight back, we had some correspondence from our listener Rick prior to me going to Australia, associated with him not letting his children, or maybe his child uh, listen yeah. to stone Age. yeah and that caught me at the time because i thought firstly i don't and, and you acknowledge this as well i don't consider what we discuss here to be child safe in any way shape or form no 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 this is for adults and although i understood rick's motives associated with exposing his child to as much stonian philosophy as possible it made me realize that one of the things that you've discussed associated with Gendo for kids or Gendo for mm. educators or whatever <laughs> way you want to take it yeah. is probably a very real thing, but it's not Stone Ape in any way, shape or form. Oh, and no, 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 no. It's my much, immediate much safer. <laughs> because I've done this historically, was that I could produce a censored version of Stone Ape, potentially, ah. and this caused a bit of indignation from both you and Rick and well not if it, no but not until you cleared that up yeah. that they could both be available yeah so they would coexist yeah, yeah right yeah, I, I also have no think problem it's with possible that. somewhere through our audio interchange that we may have gone for a single episode without cussing <laughs> it's not impossible You're but... not impossible at all <laughs> No, but no. I have I have to go back and actually listen to the episodes. It's probably more me than you, I suspect. I, yes, I use cussing very infrequently, mainly for effect, mainly for yeah. comedic effect. Yeah. The thing that strikes me is that I've never tagged any of my podcasts explicit up until the last recording, yeah. and then I went yeah. back and thought, well, I should really honestly tag all of these explicit because if people well, just are, mark it in general, this is uh, yeah, this is an adult, adult conversations. Discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And occasionally it may drift into areas you wouldn't want your kids to hear. Or even you, potentially, to listen to, yes. In fact, in large part, is the intention of a lot of this discussion is to move people out of their comfort zones. And in doing that, you're moving children out of their comfort zones as well, well beyond the scope of what yeah. we discuss typically. Well, the whole idea, of perhaps, that children even have learned to have comfort zones. <laughs> you know, a real child probably doesn't have comfort zones. Yes. Anyway, I thought it was a, a topic of, you know, worthy yeah. at least of airing to the broader state. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I followed that and I uh, agree most. Yeah. Well, I didn't like the idea of censoring it, but then when you clarified and said, uh, having them both there, I thought, yeah, fine. No problem. Yeah. I mean, in terms of actually talking to listeners while I was in Australia, I spent stone ape listeners. Yes. Mm -hmm. I spent a bit of time with people who have historically identified themselves as listeners, both through the Facebook group and also periodically pinging me. Although I didn't explicitly talk to, um, well, let's just name them, Owen on one side and Anthony and Beck on the other, associated with whether or how frequently they listen to Stone Ape. My understanding mm -hmm. is that Anthony and Beck are frequent listeners. 
Mm-hmm. And actually, out of the time that I spent in Australia, the time with them was absolutely wonderful. I mean, yeah. if we look at Stone Ape as being a mechanism reaching out to our people, if such yeah. things exist, yeah. certainly my time spent with the two of them realised, and I'd never met Beck previously. I'd gone to school with Anthony relatively briefly, so we did know each other prior to this, and he said that he, out the people he knew... He remembered a number of our conversations, which was a theme, actually. I should also point out that um, my artist friend, who we talked about having numerous relationships with boys in my high school, other than me, also started listening to Stone Ape based on catching up with me when I was in Canberra, Australia as well. Hmm. I'm not sure if she's going to be a frequent listener, but certainly I identified <laughs> that she had been discussed in prior podcasts. So, yeah. you know, she would probably find her narrative somewhere through that. So hmm. let's talk about this elephant in the room. Because <laughs> there's a lot of topics, a lot of bits and pieces associated with my time in Australia. The first thing that struck me about it was that I I have no preparation for Australia. I like to think that I have a preparation for going back to Australia. But there are so many people, there are so many... Like, yeah, they've got their own agenda. <laughs> completely. And I actually, in this trip, realised within the first you know, hour and a half of arriving in Australia, I think we arrived in the morning from memory, and I was sitting in my mother's apartment looking out on the little glimmers of the water that she has in Sydney and realised I just had to embrace the chaos and just yeah. allow this trip yeah. to define itself. Yeah, there were some wise familiar, choice. <laughs> there were some familiar themes through it, and they're kind of an evolution of a series of themes. But once I discarded the notion that I would have any form of control over this thing, I kind of allocated the trip associated with spending time with people, which is ultimately spending time with their psychologies and, you know, all the stuff that goes on. Oh, they're a monkey business. Exactly. <laughs> and then I identified the time that I had that was free. And the time that I had that was free was really quite luxurious because yeah. my spiritual advisor and my mother went to Ayers Rock, which is the big rock in central Australia, which I think was actually very beneficial for both of them. My spiritual advice, I haven't really spent that much time alone with my mother. And as they're both two relatively important people in my life, I mean, in terms of my spiritual advice, are pretty important. In terms of my mother, certainly influential through various stages of my life. Um, it's good that they spend time together. Yeah. It yeah. also gets me in a circumstance where I can actually explore, you know, explore Australia without dominant narratives <laughs> impacting yeah. you know, my exploration. Yeah. 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 But um, just... I thought a bit about how to characterize the various events that went on, and some of them were considerably more curious than others. My brother's wedding is a difficult thing to frame because my perspective is now I probably have more Australian listeners and I may even have people who attended the wedding. So there were various kind of comical, quizzical elements to the wedding, but there was an underlying theme which was echoed by a few people who talked to me through the wedding. And that was, why wasn't I involved with the wedding? I mean, I had two roles in the wedding. I read out a short prayer and I signed the wedding certificate. But basically, as a brother there, I had a relatively minimalist role. I wasn't asked to speak. I really didn't have that much to do. And the wedding certificate was a bit of a farce, actually, because they had some, they had another person's name there for the signature. And then I had to after the wedding was said and done, I had to go and meet the priest after the fact in order to re-sign the certificate and all these other kinds of things. And the wedding, as I've talked about previously, was a kind of cultural anomaly because it was basically a country Catholic wedding. 
that was reframed slightly by my brother's influence, but really it was a very heavily defined wedding where my brother really had, you know, incidental roles through it. Yeah, they they accepted the traditional ceremony or something or other, I guess, right? Well, I mean, my perspective associated with weddings is that ideally it would represent two parties in some regard. But I oh, really uh, didn't... What an interesting idea. Well, in some regard. <laughs> but, yeah. There's not a negotiating agreement uh, for fiscal responsibility between families. <laughs> oh, that's curious, actually. I mean, certainly in this case, I don't know how much the bride's parents paid, but I'm pretty clear how much my parents paid in this circumstance. The other, the other curious thing was that three out of four of my father's wives were at the wedding. <laughs> so, what happened to the fourth? Uh, I don't think we'll ever be on speaking terms with the fourth. I no, think she yeah. extracted her pound of flesh, and she's mm. perfectly happy with that. Yeah, and, thank you. Goodbye. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, I don't expect that she will uh, ever be seen in any of our company ever again. But mm-hmm. moving on from that, my father's current wife introduced me to her niece by saying that I had been published in the New York... No, the New York Times had called me a genius when I was 22, which I thought was a really curious way to introduce me, and I said it's been downhill Mm. since then. (laughs) Right, yeah, that was the That was the the peak, and now 16 (laughs) years later, nothing more to be seen. Who the fuck is Tom Barbalette? Exactly, (laughs) yeah. So, no, I mean, I, I guess, and I didn't really spend a lot of time with my father and his current wife. I spent a brief amount of time. One of the most curious things that came out of this was a story that I've told a few times prior on Stone Ape, and that is associated with my grandfather, my father's father, who was in the British Eighth Army in North Africa and found a camera in a tank, a German tank, and then proceeded to take photos through the war. My uncle, who's relatively, I don't know, he's relatively quiet, he kind of keeps to himself, I mean, he's jovial when you talk to him, but he had been so um, impacted by the work that I'd done, the genealogical work, that he's actually sending me all these photos, plus a bunch of other photos. Now, I'm going to send them back to him, it's not like I'm keeping them, but he's sending them to me so I can digitize them and yes. also put yeah. them out accordingly. Yeah. And as a family record, but just a really fascinating record, I think this is going to be a project that certainly I'm willing to uh, invest a bit of time into. It's just genuinely fascinating. Hmm. I think there are photo historians that should be able to place a lot of the photographs, and he did actually write on the back of some of them, associated with where he was and what time it was and these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Following on this line as well, I did my Hajj, which I do when I go back to Canberra, Australia, to the Australian War Memorial. And I was thoroughly disgusted by the Holocaust cue card, which I've talked about in prior Stone Apes, but it was even more, like, extreme this trip. And I wrote to the Australian War Memorial accordingly. I haven't got an official response. I've gotten a response saying that they'll respond, but not a response (laughs) accordingly. And it made me realise, actually, that this pervasive nationalism and this pervasive move against education, which is pretty omnipresent the world over. It's not just Australia, but the Australian flavour just really deeply unsettles <laughs> me. Means that actually the, the conclusion to the War Memorial experience for me is to end up in their bookshop slash plastic models slash, you know, bronzes shop where they sell stuff, including postcards and 
yeah. you know, planes well, and things. Every, every museum does. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and realizing actually that of the books that I had, the ones that I wanted, I already had. Plus, I had a whole lot more books of more interest in these sections and the strange kind of nationalism and just the sheer number of the same books that were there. Made me realize that really this wasn't my place anymore. Australian it's- nationalism. Is that a big thing oh, yeah. there? Is oh, it's it- huge. So patriot, bigger than the United States? Well, that's very interesting. I think perhaps in certain circumstances, you see, the US racism isn't, isn't, it's, it's at a stage where it's now being more frowned upon. Racism is not going to be expunged. Well, not just racism. No, I'm just talking about Americanism, patriotism. Well, you see, patriotism in this country doesn't have a, I mean, it, it in some regard does have a racism associated with it, but in Australia, it has an explicit racism associated with it. Oh, really? And that's what I find particularly curious. Oh, wait a minute. How does that? How does that work? Well, because Australia has had waves of immigration. The first wave of immigration was some kind of you know battle <laughs> Were they of English between the English and the Irish, the Irish Catholics and the English Protestants. Yeah. And then came in the Italians and the Greeks. And then came in uh, the Vietnamese. And actually, the Chinese came in because Australia had a gold rush at the same time the US had a gold rush. And there was a small migration of Chinese through that period of time. But the major rush... What about the Aborigines? Well, we can go back to them as well. We don't talk about them. We can go back to them as well. But in terms of fractions, these are far larger components. Yeah. And then now you have the Hong Kong Chinese and even people from mainland China who my father's fourth wife fits into this category as well. So Australia has had waves of migration, which means that when Australians talk about the good old days, when they talk about the things of patriotism and pride, yeah. There weren't all these Chinese folk and these yeah, Vietnamese yeah, okay, folk yeah. around. It yeah. was, you know, about a Bunch particular of kind of Australians. Yeah. They didn't, okay, but they didn't distinguish so much between Italians and, and well, other Caucasians or. Certainly, or, see, this is where it gets particularly curious. Now, I mean, historically, and maybe I'm just completely blind wrong associated with this, but I would have liked to have thought in particular because my father was one of the darkies that came over in the 1940s actually 1950s, let's get the timing right, that the kind of institutional racism that I saw even from my mother in this visit wouldn't have been present as I was growing up. I think the tone has changed dramatically in the Mm. past 10 years, and certainly even more so in the past 20 years. And really, it's very curious now what has occurred there, because... Has there also been a sort of similar civil rights movement or anything there amongst the minorities? We've talked a little bit about... This is the curious thing. So when I went back in 2009, one of my mother's intellectual friends had published a book on sorry and how important it was for Australians to say sorry to Aborigines. And I, yeah. at the time, said this is actually a ludicrous movement because while this sorry discussion has gone on, Aborigines have lost vast quantities of their civil rights. They basically now live in repressive police, micro-police states where they're frequently raided, they're frequently searched, and, you know, the conditions of their life are nothing like the lives of regular Australians. And rather than having this sorry discussion, maybe we should actually talk about the real living conditions. Maybe make some having. changes. Because the something. sorry discussion was really about bolstering up these kind of 
you know, middle class intellectual group that wanted to feel well, that needs bit to be done too. But that's you know, yeah. <laughs> that's just one of many things that In need any to case, be done. Because yes. the conversation in Australia is so polarized to the point where there can't be a third opinion; there are only two opinions. <laughs> I had to end up buying a meal and wine for this individual because my perspective. Now, here's the funny thing. My mother, through that discussion, made it out that I was, you know, clearly in the wrong. Six Hmm. years later, she said, actually, she agreed with me through this discussion, but it was still inappropriate for me to have this conversation with this individual. And so what I did through the circumstances associated with buying lunch and the wine and all this other stuff was appropriate. I think things have changed for the worst in Australia. I think the dominant narrative is so politically polarised that people don't actually independently start self-evaluating their perspectives in these circumstances. So they just start saying this stuff, which makes absolutely no rational sense. A few of these examples came up associated with the wedding. I don't really feel appropriate talking about them. However, there were constant distinctions made between basically... You know, the country Catholics and the rest of us unwashed heathen masses. And quite frankly, I made the point that at least a couple of occasions, it was rather curious that we were the dirty outsiders in these discussions. Like, maybe that was just slightly inappropriate in any case. So, yes, it is a curious country. And I think certainly what I said to my... Do you think they thinking, were doing... Do you think they were aiming it at anybody or is it just... Totally, they're just totally blind totally to their blind. own. They're totally yeah, they, blind to that. It's they, just reality exactly, to them. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Which I think is probably the most interesting form of institutional racism. I mean, really, what you're talking well, that's, about is yeah, that's what Gendo is all about. Is his uh, getting stuck in your story. So, a point that I made wow. to a couple of sympathetic folk, one of whom being Annabelle, our new listener, was maybe. A bit of critical self-evaluation, which I certainly apply frequently and have applied through this Australia trip on a number of occasions, should um, at least acknowledge where some of these issues might lie. And the whole notion of, you know, being a progressive, educated society, when you're told that, kind of resonates within people's heads. But actually doing the evaluation and realising what still needs to occur and the role that institutional racism still has. I mean, for example, my mother used terms which I don't think she ever would have used for my childhood associated with racial groups and ethnic groups. And really, it was very curious hearing her say these things out loud. What's interesting is she was far more candid with my spiritual advisor than she was with me. Like, she (laughs) clearly realizes that... Well, she doesn't have a history well, I mean, not, you know, there's, she's got a certain... If I, look, <laughs> you may not believe this, but if I hear stupid shit, I'm just going to satirize stupid shit. And unfortunately, I have a legacy associated with doing this. This may have been why I wasn't really allowed to talk at my brother's wedding. So, <laughs> They're afraid you might say something. Exactly. In fact, the curious conversation I had with my brother at the end of the wedding... They're was, no dummies. <laughs> was that he was surprised, actually, that I'd even turned up, which yeah. made me feel yeah. a little... Like, Jesus, what the hell is going on here? Well, you already know what's going on Yes, there. I already know what's going on Yes. No no surprises, really. No punches. Yeah, through. yeah. But it's interesting to observe it, though, and realize how deep mm. it goes. Mm. I mean, you can't even bring up the subject. They don't even understand what you're talking about. I... I take three tacts. The first tact is just blatant satire. <laughs> yeah. Which oftentimes... Anything that gets them confused exactly. is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. And then when you make the point that while it looks like you're being aggressively rude, actually you're just making the point that they're being aggressively rude, sometimes <laughs> yeah. that works out. Yeah, yeah. 
The other thing that I use occasionally is just some kind of deconstructive analysis, like, hey, I'm Tom, we've had a few good conversations previously, could you actually, like, pay a little bit of reasoning to these things? And the third one that I use is actually finding the right time, which is a really quite subtle thing that I've used historically in a few circumstances, but I use pretty Mm -hmm. extensively with this Australian trip. And also, whether you do it privately or publicly. Yes. That's a huge difference. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. It's when you, I found that if I take someone aside, yeah. say, I can say almost anything and get away with it, but you do it in public and uh, you're going to build an enemy. Yes. Yes. So this trip reinforced to me an emotion, which I've always had, even when I lived in Australia, but I realized that the time that has gone on where I haven't been in Australia means that I can probably never return to Australia as a citizen living in a society. It was something that I guess I'd realized when I left, but this trip was even more extreme in that light. What's your citizenship thing? You're actually a citizen of... Australia and the UK currently. In the UK. And and US, you are a, what, a resident alien? A green card holder. A green card holder. Okay. Uh, And I got my green card extended not for another 10 years, but for another 20 years. So I will only ethically have to discover, to dissect this in 20 years' time. Yeah, cool. So yeah, yeah, there might not 50. even be a United States in 20 years. We can live in hope, Aaron. We yeah. can live in hope. NSA, start your recording now. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but no, I had a great degree. I mean, look, spending spending the day with Beck and Bean, our listeners in Australia, and getting existential respect made me realize that, like you, which in your case moves you into a hermitage, in my case just means that I have choices associated with when I interact. I don't like being in environments where I don't get existential respect. And I try to move to... That's why I'm a hermit. Exactly. That's exactly the point I was <laughs> I'm av- I avoid those yeah. uh, because they're just no fun. So I realized through the wedding that there were certain like, emotional things that I had to do. Like, for example, the guy who I bought dinner and wine for, I had to go and say hello to him and talk to him politely. And I had to catch up with various family friends and these kind of things, yeah. in particular relations who, yeah. you know, who clearly, I mean, on my mother's side of the family, both the parents who really had very instrumental roles in all the underlying siblings' development had passed. So I had to go and spend time with my oldest uncle and these kind of things through that. Mm. And I think everyone was very receptive to that. But I realized I had to cut loose at some point in the wedding, and I discovered basically a corner of people who weren't really participating in the wedding uh, in the same light that everyone who I was around was participating in the wedding. Well, know. what were they doing? Well, I went over there, and they were having so a They were getting shooting up in the corner or what? <laughs> shooting up at the red wine. They were uh, having a discussion associated with Kadai and the effects that Kadai had on their musical understanding. <laughs> Oh, good. Yeah, that and sounds like so, a lot more fun. I'm amongst that discussion right away yeah. and realized within about a three-minute period that I was actually dominating the discussion and they were actually looking to me to lead the discussion in yeah. a variety yeah, of ways. you actually had some knowledge in that. Like, area. I wasn't stuffy. Like, I basically no. had a life that I'd lived and I wasn't... No, you're like, an enthusiast exactly. sharing the, yes. your... It's like the model railroader. Exactly. <laughs> and the funny thing through that is actually one of the guys was my brother's drummer. My brother's part of a band and his drummer was one of these people. And there were a few other people, the drummer's partner and a couple of other people there. 
And I realised, actually, that I could have fun at the wedding and not yeah. have all these kind of social constraints. So I kind of moved around the wedding a bit as a social butterfly. At the conclusion of the wedding, my brother's best man was my other brother, who's twin. Uh, and then he had this fellow there who was like a professional best man who basically went from wedding to wedding filling the same role. And oh, really? I mean, he was not a family member. This is just some guy they hired. <laughs> Well, apparently, I mean, my other brother, who was the best man, didn't know how my brother knew this guy. He was just there at the wedding, and he was talking about a wedding that he'd been to the week before, and a wedding he was going to the week after, and we actually ran into him on the way to the War Memorial, too. He was being himself, and this is a city of 300,000, so maybe he was stalking us, who knows. But anyway, as I was leaving, he passed me a Cuban cigar in a tube, yeah. and I realised this is actually contraband. Like, I can't import this into the US, and I thought... What a beautiful mento associated with my brother's wedding. <laughs> with this curious a Cuban, Cuban cigar. cigar. <laughs> which I sent back to myself in some dirty laundry. Is it still not okay now that we've changed all that stuff? It's, no. Obama, Obama, like, it's this classic finger-pointing thing. Obama says it's the Congress's fault, but Obama signs the embargo into law every year. <laughs> so, yeah, it's one of these crazy yeah. things where, depending yeah. on whether you pay attention or not, you think it's one group or the other group. Yeah. Or you just don't pay any attention don't over care. the whole goddamn yeah. thing. <laughs> so, no, I thought it was very funny that I was given some contraband as I left my brother's wedding, because absolutely everything other than that, well, aside from potentially the priest, the priest was kind of a curious individual, and early on in the wedding, I had to set my my stepmother up with the priest. So I had my father's second wife came and stayed with us, and she's the woman that we dropped off at Berkeley a day early. I don't need to narrate any And this is Catholic priest. Yeah, this is a Catholic priest. So is Catholic is Catholicism different there than any, than in the U.S.? I mean, it's yes. all under the thumb of Rome, but right? It's completely different because there's this crazy country Catholic country Catholicism in Australia is something that's very particular. Ah, okay. Yeah. Now, Catholicism in Australia is probably more conservative than it is in the U.S. For a period of time, my mother, for like nine years, my mother dated a Catholic man, and because my mother was divorced. He had to keep it secret from all his family. And through this period of time, because my mother had to keep it secret from me, I thought she was a lesbian because she'd go to this woman's house or say she was going to the woman's house all night and then come home. Really, she was going to see this Catholic fellow. So when I lived on campus, I lived in a facility that was run by nuns. And I didn't realize at the time that they absolutely hated Jews. And my mother had written, you know, my father was Jewish on the piece of paperwork that I went in with. But yeah, I had a very curious relationship with the nuns, and it made me realise that I probably should stay as far away from these people as <laughs> possible. But it is a particular... I mean, it's Australia is an island, and then you have these kind of sub-islands that exist in Australia, and country Catholicism is part of that. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's. I imagine that there's a more mainstream thing in, in big cities, well, in, in the capital. Well, this fellow who my mother dated was from the big city, and still there was this curiosity associated yeah. with him mm. dating a divorce. I mean, is there Another, I mean, are there several branches? I mean, even in the U.S., I mean, there are more radical branches of Catholicism. Yes, I think the, you know. the nature, particularly of New South Wales and the whole co the country and the city is really a big divide in Australia, and the nature yeah. of these churches in the country is something different. Yeah, I bet. So yeah. early on, the priest and I basically, because I'm kind of jovial and slightly aggressive when I'm around these kind of people in authority, and I kind of stick out because of that. And, you know, you make a lighthearted joke towards me and I'll come back with a slightly more lighthearted joke, slightly more aggressively. 
Anyway, so he and I had already sparred on a few occasions, uh, and uh, at the wedding, I found myself standing with him for about an hour, trying to find my stepmother to put the two of them together, which was supposed to be my role, leading up to, you know, when the meal was served. There are two ways to look at this, but I'll just state it as fact. He had not been able to hold a job within a parish for an extended period of time. He basically stayed in places for short periods of time, and then he was given his marching orders, typically within about three weeks, as he told me quite candidly. Wow, three weeks, man. Yes. Well, how was, and he was still able to find new jobs. Uh, My perspective is that he'd done so many parishes in such an amount of time that basically he had (laughs) enough places to go. So normally, particularly associated with the Catholic Church, you know, one might have certain suspicions associated with this. My spiritual advisor noted when I told her this, that he had paid particular attention to the young kids at the wedding. I did, however, have a distinctly different perspective because I had to wake up at 7am the next day and try to track this man down to sign my brother's marriage certificate. And my perspective is there are people that are good at what they do and there are people that aren't good at what they do. <laughs> and my, I think that's actually probably a better interpretation of why this guy moved around the way that he did. But, uh, yeah. Meaning he wasn't very good at what he did? Yes. I, I don't, I mean, I, I, I would want to put that in a higher light than the potential that he was being shuffled around as many of these, uh, you know, litigated against priests are shuffled around. Yeah, I don't really understand how those kinds of decisions are made and who's doing the shuffling and just how, you know, I mean, I've never really looked into it, you know, but I mean, I guess, I mean, cause the church is a pretty, Strict hierarchy, I, I would imagine, it's in some ways, mm. right? So somewhere in that hierarchy, <laughs> there's a, a change takes place. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, my perspective is that if you have a career, and I could probably use this myself quite critically, and you don't see advancement or you see these kind of things occurring in the career, I mean, people might make a choice to change careers. And the choice not to do that and just to continue to have these kind of things occurring, yeah, I think is a, a distinct choice. Well, but I don't think you can quite look at the priesthood as a career. At least that doesn't make, I mean, if that would seem to me to be a mistake to use the idea of career as a, a good analogy for what it means to be a priest. But obviously through this, you have reinforcing things that you're doing a good job or you have reinforcing things that you're being moved every three years without much notice and you're not getting like, I mean, existential respect still has like an emotional connection, right? Well, I I, I don't know anything at all about this case, so I can't speak to it, you know. But I mean, if you have a calling, this is what you're talking about. Well, yes, you do. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I haven't. It'd be interesting to talk to pre, I mean, I mean, maybe people don't all, you know, feel the way I do about it. To me, that calling, I mean, I feel the calling. Mm. It's just the church is not my way of fulfilling it, you yeah. know. But, but if you had an example where you, I mean, but you get positive reinforcement that you're actually doing something that is like beneficial and like long-term rewarding. Well, it's, not- I got a story that I'm, that I'm using. It works yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, Tom, I've missed you. Well, thank uh, you, Harris. You know, it, well, let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I haven't had an opportunity to get mildly drunk in a couple of weeks. Very good. And, um, and I actually, you know, I really enjoy this stuff. It's, uh, it's 
quite mild. Yeah. Um, well, imagine but it, what would have happened if I died in a plane crash. How would you feel uh, well, you know, I'd probably start cheating on you. <laughs> I'd find well, something. apparently there's a queue. Apparently there's a queue of people that want to have these kind of discussions with you, Heron. So <laughs> I'm sure they'd form an orderly queue and we'd just, you'd just well, continue can, on with your listen, I'm, I'm there Wednesday, Friday, Saturday from 3 to 5 California time on TeamSpeak. And if you, you know, just ask and I can give you all the information you need. I'm there six hours a week to talk yeah. to anybody who wants to show up and talk about stuff. Yeah. And basically, if they ping you via Facebook, you might even talk via Skype, right? Well, yeah, there's any way. Yeah, Skype works. Uh, yeah. You know, I just that I actually when I'm, I mean, I've been doing that and I'm, I'm realizing that actually I just don't have time to talk to everybody, <laughs> you know? So, uh, I, I would prefer that people use the TeamSpeak thing, but Skype's good. I mean, I'm not going to not talk. So, uh, yeah, Skype will work fine, actually. Yeah. Heron underscore stone. Hmm. Yeah. Call me. <laughs> well, text first. Thanks. Yes. Yeah, it's rude to just call. Yes. Well, at least acknowledge who's who's there and what they have to say. Yeah. Well, in any case, I would encourage people to use TeamSpeak, and, and I'm going to be pushing that probably more as I become more active in the future. Yes. So, a fellow who's an occasional listener, who I don't know how actually how I know him. I, I basically know him through his parents. I spent a bit of time with this trip to Australia. He did an engineering degree, and then somewhere through that process, I think after he completed the engineering degree, he decided to have a change of profession, and he became a pastry baker. Well, that's not really true. His mother and he got together, and they formed a business as of the bakery, as a pastry bakery, and through that, he's become completely and utterly obsessed with baking and pastries. Yeah. So, because this Everybody's is... Everybody's got to have a story. Yeah. A hundred hours a week worth of story yeah. in this case. Yeah. yeah. So, because this is something that my wife has done periodically, not necessarily associated with baking, but associated with cake decorating. Yeah. He... Uh, I, I've decided to put the two of them together. And through this, the conclusion was generated that basically he needs to come to California and take his, his particular passion, which is macaroons. Yeah. Macarons, as he calls them. Yeah. Uh, to the US. And and open was, up franchise shops. <laughs> well, part of it was that, you know, we would do some surveying associated with this. But then I got back here and he tried to call me at 2 a.m. to talk about macarons. And <laughs> I did spend quite a bit of time with him, but I'm starting to realize that, um, yeah, our kind of discussive relationship associated with this was probably... He's not a businessman, probably. Well, that's where it gets curious, because I think the... Yeah, it really is a difficulty that you've got to have the Wozniak and the Jobs, right? Yeah, you got. You, you know, I, I've been thinking about that very thing. I, where the fuck is my Steve Jobs? <laughs> yes. I am the, the Woz of epistemology. <laughs> But it's useless without a Steve Jobs of epistemology. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not the Steve Jobs of anything, and I feel increasingly that I'm not necessarily the was, as, was of anything either. And having met the real was, I really don't think that 
the rebel was was well no was did some great stuff oh, yeah, but in a that, small period of time yeah there yeah. there was a period of time well he was on the leading edge of the computer world but he wasn't alone no of this. course not so, no he was just yeah. one of thousands yeah. of people doing yeah. it but he came up with some really good shit without question without you know question. and that that's all that needs to be said you know the fact that he's you know what he is and he's on dancing with the stars tells you about other parts of Waz. Yeah. <laughs> and know? certainly my 18 months with the man tells yeah. you a lot. Yeah, well, there's yeah. a lot, but again, that takes nothing away from his contribution. Yes. yes. I love the man. And, and, I, and I really feel that I'm doing sort of equ- equivalent work in epistemology. The, so, the issue is bringing it, getting it out of the fucking, you know, academia into terms and ways that normal uneducated, unphilosophically sophisticated people uh, can actually get. And I'm, so far, I haven't been able to do that. Mm. <laughs> but that's that's the job. Yeah, it was a difficult series of conversations because I realized, I mean, firstly, we are going to do an investigation about the local Macaron situation. Yeah. But also, I am no panacea to anything. I mean, I really feel very strongly that I'm not a panacea to, I mean, well, of I've course been, not. I've You're not lucky. even a panacea to you. It'd be Clearly. nice if you could be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if the plane crashed, then I'd be a panacea to me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it is, it is very curious. So, I don't what know. Is this, so, this guy thinks you're somehow going to save him or something? Or I don't know. I mean, what I tried to I do... I wouldn't have couple... nothing to do with him. Yes. If that's the way he's approaching it, that's just a recipe for big disappointment and trouble. Clearly. So, yes, I don't know how to actually frame this conversation even because I'm not in a state where I can even really comment on it too much. Aside from the fact yeah. that I did make the point that his current situation, I think he's onto a third generation of folk that are working for him. He needs to be in a position where he can actually take a week off and come here. Yeah. If he's actually seriously considering that and he's a way off from that. Well, why would he come here though? I mean, is he, I mean, has he got it all together? Is he ready to open a shop? No, Does he have plans? He's, he's, Does he's he... nowhere near there. Oh, okay. Um, well, then that's just yeah. empty talk. <laughs> There was a lot of that. That was a theme through my period of time in Australia, actually. So, yes. Yes. Something which I did in parallel to going to Australia was continue the short funk recordings. And when I came back, I divided my topics between Stone Ape and short funk. So some of the topics I thought would take more than seven minutes, and a few of the topics were sufficiently short and probably dry and relatively abstractly boring for you, that I put them in short funk. Accordingly. <laughs> and now I'm back to the regular recording. Well, the short funk is not set up for dialogue. No, not at all. No, it's no. just it's you putting out stuff. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Somewhat curiously, my mother started listening to short funk and sent me three, four paragraph to six paragraph reviews on various recordings. Ah, how interesting. Yes. Which is curious because it has her perspective and views, like, I should drop everything and get a PhD, because that will clearly get me existential respect. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's got all this kind of curious... You're serious. That's that's really her her thinking on that? That's what she wrote. To get a PhD? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it would... It Actually, that does impress some people. But who the hell wants to impress those people? <laughs> yeah. And, in fact, everyone I know who has a PhD... Yeah, works at McDonald's. Yeah, well, or, 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 or an equivalent institution. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's actually rather curious. I mean, that narrative in Australia is still pretty pervasive. 
Uh, and it's funny when you actually just laugh. I, I mean, you know, when you hear that kind of stuff and you just say, <laughs> yeah, PhD, that's funny. Uh, well, it makes sense for certain kinds of things. If you want to play a certain game in academia, if you want to teach philosophy at the Sorbonne, then <laughs> you probably need a PhD. Yeah. But, I mean, if you put out audio podcasts and you have, you know, yeah, all you got to do is make stuff. sense. Exactly. <laughs> in fact, I mean, having a PhD is really quite secondary because you'll probably bore people within you know, a certain amount of time. Well, yeah, it's just irrelevant. The question is, do you have anything interesting to say? Hmm. But yes, it is interesting how short funk has become quite a distinct form, and you know it, it'll now generate its own, you know, its own listeners that specifically yeah. tailored to that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that develops, and how you develop in in that in response <laughs> to its development. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the things that I talked about that I'm serious about. I mean, I've got WWDC and a bathroom renovation here in the short term, but I'm certainly going to send out email prompts through this period is associated with hiring a PR person. And yeah. part of hiring a PR person is actually working out what they're going to be doing PR on. Yeah, and what is the product, by the way? Well, I have a number <laughs> of products, which is where it gets particularly difficult. Yeah, yeah, right. Same here. It's just, yeah, the, yeah. It's, you know, what is the product? And, the product. I mean, in my case, I can, like, point to stuff. Like, stuff exists that defines what the product is in terms of if you've got 400 hours to listen to model railroading related content. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Or even (laughs) 400 hours to listen to some schmuck rap with some other schmuck. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think through that, it's it's difficult because, I mean, really what you want is an elevator pitch, and none of my stuff really is. I mean, you know, model rail radio is an elevator pitch. I think Stone 8 is probably an elevator pitch. Noble 8 Oh, I'd love to hear. I challenge you. To give me an elevator pitch for Stone Ape. Futurist yep. linguist Heron Stone raps with the artificial life creator Tom Barlow on a variety of topics. They talk about mm. philosophy, pianos, <laughs> linguistics, and current events. Uh, no. Well, but that's a good start. It's a good start. It's, it's an elevator start. pitch. The definition it's a, of an elevator it's, pitch it's a place is to not. start. Exactly. Yeah, it's a good start. You're right. But uh, unacceptable in its current form. Well, for your your perspective. For my perspective, yes. of course. From yours is you know. But no, I, don't I don't care, care. about I mean, your perspective. I'm only interested in mine. Yeah. <laughs> well, how, what's your elevator pitch for Stone? Uh, I don't have one. You see, but that's but so yours is better than mine. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, a start is better than nothing. Yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe I should I should do that. Yeah. Elevator pitch. Well, we, we tried, we, I mean, we've workshopped periodically elevator pitches associated with Gendo. Yeah. And we've had, well, we've had some interesting things. I, I, I've, Gendo were, uh, actually lately I'm pretty happy with that. The voice in your head is not something you are doing. Yes. Uh, that, that's, I think, somewhat shocking and controversial. And, and yet, if you get it, then it, it's obvious. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Through hiring a publicist, I've had to think very critically about what Noble Ape is, for example. Yeah. Well, what is it you're trying to publicize? Is well, it Tom Barbelay? Yes, I guess it is, through these various avenues that have been created. Yeah. See, that I'm going through exactly the same thing. The more I get into this, the more it looks like I'm having to market me, and I fucking hate that. But it's that's that's what it is. <laughs> you know? Hmm. It's almost, they're inseparable, it seems on some level, but I'm really, that, that, I don't, I'm not comfortable with marketing me. Yeah. Much rather market Gendo or something, you know? Yeah. Yes, I think that's a problem that I'm working through as well. I mean, that's part of the reason that you hire an external professional. 
Yeah. I talked about this a bit, but I mean, my prior experience associated with working with someone was we went and had a cup of coffee. She wrote something which she thought represented what I wanted. I completely rewrote it, passed it back to her, and she sent it out. And that was my experience working with a PR person, and that netted And, the, and what did it result in? Uh, I spoke on BBC Radio 4, and I wrote an article for IEEE Computer Graphics and Applications. Well, so on something, yeah. So four hundred pounds. I think I got my money's worth. I think yeah. it was four hundred, maybe three hundred pounds. Whatever, it worked. Yeah, it worked. You know? Yeah, and uh, and my perspective was it actually motivated me to move my, you know, my ideas into a particular perspective. Now I've done this without a PR person as well. I mean, I've written various articles. Obviously, we did the thing for the psychedelic salon. I mean, we do various bits of PR, or yeah. I certainly do explicitly. And mm-hmm. prepare myself and prepare stuff for it. But this is being a bit more interesting. One of the things that I thought about was sending this Casey Neistat fellow has a video blog, a daily video blog that reaches about 150,000 people. A and daily video. How long is it? Uh, it's about nine minutes. Typically. Okay. Okay. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. Every day. Every day. Okay. And he's talking about. Whatever the fuck he wants to yeah, talk about. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes it's about exercise, and most of the time, actually, it's about his kind of business philosophy and stuff like that, which he has this problem associated with his own experience versus things that he should give advice associated with. I mean, mm-hmm. I think he's been incredibly lucky, and my view is that in large part, one can create some of that luck, but some of it's just plain Sometimes it's just you're fucking lucky. And the advice I know I am. I'll take luck any day. Yeah. The advice that he gives is very heavily luck-centric and not really heavily associated with survival. And where things have gone very heavily in his favor, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily be wanting to give advice associated with purely luck. Yeah. But that being said, uh, both my spiritual advisor and I watch his video blogs independently, and he has given his postal address, and once a week he opens his mailbox. Sometimes he just literally takes stuff out of the boxes and throws it in the trash. In terms of products, and in inverted commas, that I have that would be applicable to Casey Neistat, the only two things that I think about are the vintage Noble 8 t-shirts, which is I'm currently simulating thought processes, and then on the back it has like the Noble 8 at noble8.com. And then I have a mug that says, uh, my simulated monkey is on the honor roll at Simeon Elementary. And these are the two items that I think might translate. I mean, books, these I kind like of things. That one. <laughs> you know, they might not, but these are two catchy things. And the Noble Oak t-shirts for a period of time really heavily defined the development. And if you've never seen them previously, even though they were, you know, worn on campus at MIT and a variety of computer companies. And I mean, Probably in the order of 350 Noble 8 shirts went out through a period of time when I moved back to the US and was actually publicizing Noble 8. And the mugs less so, but the mugs are kind of cute as well. So I thought if I sent him those two things in a little box, you know, he might unwrap it, he might be interested. But I mean, mainly it's associated with the experiences that he had was a kind of continuation of the small microcosm, the experiences that I had in particular in New York City in the, you know, 2000, lesser extent, 2001. And the choices that I made were primarily associated with leaving the U.S., which changed my circumstances dramatically. But also I had to leave the U.S. I mean, you can't ignore visa law and you can become a, a <laughs> wandering nomad. And I know people that have a done pirate. that. pirate. Yes. <laughs> One of these illegals. Uh, and I know people that have done that, you know. But um, that wasn't going to be the route that I took because you pretty well eliminate your luck 
through that. Um, yeah, I've considered a criminal life, but I decided, no, 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 no thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you've skirted elements of that, but I mean, they've just progressively made the things legal that were related <laughs> to your criminality anyway. Yeah, most so, of it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I actually enjoy paying for software now. Mm. You know, I mean, when it's reasonably priced, simple little thing. <laughs> Under that, the conditions that you define, you like paying well, for software. Well, of course, yes. Yes. Of course. But it, it is satisfying for me because I pirated stuff for so many years and it was really a pain in the butt. Mm. I mean, really, it's just way more time consuming than yeah. it's almost worth. Yeah. But, but, um, anyway, it feels good to, to uh, send some money to somebody who wrote some software that I use, yes. you know, and it's not that much, you know. Yes. That's cool. Yeah, for years, yeah, I didn't realize that that was a possibility in life. For in to fact, have enough money left over. Yeah, to have more than enough money to survive. You know, th- I mean, that was just I've never lived like that before. Yes. And um, so, in my experience, that's just. That wasn't something to consider, and I'm still sort of getting over that and realizing that there are millions of people who would spend ten dollars a month without thinking about it, you know, just because that's kind of cool, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, like I say, that's just sort of beyond me. I'm still grasping, trying to trying to get get that into my heart because it's so burned into me, you know, about wh- what you spend your money on, you know. Yes. Yeah. I drove for years without car insurance. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I lived very insecurely for most of my life, and I think I paid a price for that. I think that's really deadening. I don't know how I survived it, really. Well, I survived well, it. was a choice, I, right? You well, made yeah, an explicit yeah, choice. Yeah, it was a choice I made yeah. because I wanted to do something, and, and and that made all the difference. But I think so many people end up sort of can just sort of live that life, and they never really chose it. Mm. <laughs> you know? And if you haven't chosen it, then you're the victim of it. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I've never really, I don't know. I mean, I've been exceptionally lucky. And at the times where I have gotten into those circumstances, I've usually either doubled down or just left the circumstances quite explicitly. Yeah, walk away is a good option at some point. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of these games are, are very high stakes, and if you don't have the stuff to put down, you just got to walk away. I mean, people don't, but... Yeah. yeah. Well, see, I just never played any of those kinds of games. I just, I got out of the whole game, period. Yeah. I, I just, I mean, I, yeah, I just couldn't deal with that kind of stuff. Didn't know how to deal with it. Mm. And didn't need to. I mean, like I said, I tuned pianos for almost 20 years, and that was real simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, these kind of philosophical choices. I mean, I certainly found that in terms of going back to Australia, and a lot of the folks that I interacted with, I just had to appreciate that these were actual choices that they had made, and, you know, you can't you can't start prescribing... You, know, you, you can't really tell anybody what the fuck to do exactly. with their life. Nobody knows what they've been through and how they came to where they are, but you, but you can talk about that process with them. Yes. If I were to use the sacred word here, <laughs> that seemed to be a, a majority of the problem that I had in Australia is that people without talking to me would prescribe things to me. Mm, oh, without, yeah, they know. They know exactly. exactly. Yes, they what, know exactly. Well, you, what you should do exactly. is... Exactly, <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and they're and, quite sincere and, yes, uh, yeah, yes. they actually really think they're, yes, lucky you ran into me. <laughs> I typically can answer those people very swiftly, and I'm actually very good at disarming those kind of conversations because really they <laughs> irritate me, but also they're not practical. 
And yeah. I think in particular when I return to a place like Australia, my time is precious. Yeah. And Well, that's why you don't want to spend it with any of those fucking homo sapiens. Yes. <laughs> it was really very curious because, to, truth be told, some of the time that I spent with homo sapiens was actually a good time in Australia. I think there are... Good, if you're a little drunk, it helps, too. Yeah, but that's never me. I think there are homo sapiens that are moving in the right direction. I've got a lot oh, of time in the those homo no, There are wonderful yes. homo sapiens, wonderful people. That's the World War II generation. They're all over 80 now. <laughs> no, they're most of them are well into their 90s now. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. yeah. Not many of them left. No, not many of them at all. Speaking of this, actually, an interesting vignette into a topic that I wanted to discuss. Somewhere, and I don't even know when this occurred, I think it probably occurred in large part for a decompression of... Uh, no, actually, what it was was I was watching a series of documentaries and reading about Nuremberg prior to leaving for Australia, and then wandering around the Australian War Memorial and seeing the postcard to the Holocaust where they had actually explicitly removed almost everything associated with the German army and the Nazi state, and the SS subsequently as well, I started to realise that part of our ongoing discussion is associated with moving all this caterpillar business into something that is intellectually passé, like a dead movement, like something that people should recoil from. Not, not well, that's my own sort of personal... Attack, attack on it, but I don't think that's necessary. I just think it's necessary to see that there's caterpillar business and there's butterfly well, I mean, business, the and they're you, both worthy of... That's the way you talk about it when you're talking to general homo sapiens, but when you're talking yeah. to me here, Heron, and we've done this well, no, I'm serious long about that. that oh, I... No, the people that are maintaining the caterpillar are doing essential work. Without them, my, my frozen peas would not show up at the market. Uh, so... God bless them, or well, Bob bless them. Unless you take responsibility for your own frozen peas, which is what we do. Well, but I can't right sense. now, you know? True. I mean, uh, yeah. I, well, I choose not to. Yeah. No, I choose, to, I mean, this, this. you're right, it's absolutely my choice. I'm, I guess what I'm talking about here is, particularly if we're preparing ourselves somewhere in the next six months to talk to a different audience, but a listening audience to the Psychedelic Salon associated with distancing, or at least acknowledging, caterpillar business but perhaps if you're yeah. intellectually inclined concerning yourself more with butterfly business yeah we probably yeah. need to cultivate some talking points some thinking of this mm. so you're right yeah if you want your frozen peas be happy with the caterpillar but, well it's, it's not about being happy with it it's about to me it's about first of all even being aware of this discussion certainly <laughs> you know because most people have never really use this story to yeah. make sense out of their life. Yeah. So th this is a huge, that's why it's, it's better to operate on a, on a linguistic level rather than uh, dealing with the subject directly. Yeah. If you can undermine it on the underlying linguistic level, the whole fucking house of cards collapse everywhere. <laughs> you know, but you try to attack each one of those little houses they've constructed, mm. and there's all sorts of resistance. And, Let's return to my original thesis. Okay. Through this period of time, and in part actually, so my uncle who has my grandfather's photos also has a collection of books and documents from a fellow who was in the SS. These are German documents, they're untranslated, he keeps them as a, like a personal collection from this gentleman. Yeah. Uh, and through this period of time I also discovered that there are English translations of some of these documents uh, available in, in books. And uh, I think I paid $30 to get a small collection of them to have mm. a look at them in order to get a sense of this is intellectual 
yeah. discourse that is very much framed in the past, has no current relevance. Yeah. But within and also own, was chosen for that publication. Certainly. <laughs> and I think if we can find the qualities or even the qualities to distance oneself from this kind of intellectual componentry, one may have a better way of actually describing the distancing between caterpillar business and butterfly business. Particularly because what we're looking to do through this, although you may deny it associated with your frozen peas, yeah. what we want is to get a group of individuals to focus themselves on butterfly business as opposed to caterpillar business. And the more people we can move from the thinking yeah. of, of caterpillar stuff to yeah. butterfly stuff, the more we can move yeah. an intellectual discussion in the direction that we are ultimately wanting it to go. Yeah, that makes perfectly good sense. That would be the ultimate. Uh, yes. So a- my perspective is, and I'm not going to go in too great a depth associated with this Nazi literature, but I think there may be interesting, I don't know, I mean, interesting perspectives associated with how you move what is currently the normative discussion point, particularly associated with who's going <laughs> to win the next presidential election. And yeah. you, know, you know, I just downloaded uh, The Triumph of the Will. Uh, yes. <laughs> I've never seen that before, huh. uh, and I, I have yet to see it, but um should be interesting. should be interesting, yes. <laughs> I assume you've seen it, or yes. should I assume that? Okay. Yes, yes, I've seen it. It's impossible not to. You can see it in piecemeal form almost everywhere, but to well, see it- No, but, I mean, I'm, to actually sit down and watch the film as it was produced, you know, mm. you know I had never seen it before. I mean, I've seen you know, snippets from it here and there. Mm. But I never seen the movie and tried tried to sort of imagine who that was aimed at and yes. what kind of response it got and uh was it a big hit? <laughs> you forget I mean I sorry, I should say I forget the amount of turbulence that the German people were exposed to from well, really from the start of the First World War through to you know, well, through the 1930s. Yeah. And uh, although probably it wasn't the case in the countryside, certainly in the cities, just the amount for tip of tit-for-tat killing went on just on a regular basis. Yeah. Now, I mean, you read about it in the context of, you know, hundreds if not thousands of people dying in periods of time, and through probably in, in what was, you know, non-existent suburbs, maybe hamlets, it wasn't quite as extreme. But the notion of stability and saviour through this is, I think, a theme which, you know, the German people were particularly receptive to. Yeah. Today, obviously, there are similar themes, there are similar ideas. And one of the things that I've started doing, which actually I've gotten positive feedback on, is daubing existing, you know, Facebook idioms to slightly correct some of the inconsistencies within the, you know, dominant ideas. It's still fundamentally caterpillar business. Yeah, if that's what you're interested in dealing with, then that would well, be something. I think there's a valid, I mean, certainly yeah. history is crucial. I mean, yes. it's just how you want to spend your time, that's all. You Very know, there's, true. There are any number of ways to spend it. Uh, but those of us who are doing a butterfly business will appreciate anything you come up with. <laughs> Basically, we'll, we'll use anything. Yes. <laughs> so, However, so you, I mean, just just as an intellectual... Just as an intellectual thing, I appreciate that, you know, when you're into this kind of guerrilla epistemology, you've got to do these kind of experiments periodically just to, you know, as a means of breaking some... You, you know, mean in the process of a, of learning this skill, you mean, or what? Well... You've got to do this... 
so if you're looking to create some kind of movement, some kind of intellectual movement which transitions uh-huh. from an old to a new, you need to do experiments which are outside the normative discussion. I've recorded a short funk associated with critical analysis, which is something that I use frequently and I can define in terms of specific things. But to genericize and describe it as a quality that people should try to employ is, well, I mean, I think I've been able to do it in short front recording, but it's relatively difficult to describe to someone on the street. Here's how you probably should look at these things. And this is a universal way of looking at these things that will enable you to get new ideas out of what appears to be presently stale discourse. From this, if you are in, if you are trying to motivate a group of people, which is kind of the thing that I'd set for us to do in the next six months, somewhat covertly as a means of also promoting these ongoing discussions that you and I have, then it's good to probably come with a group of ideas that aren't familiar to a bunch of hippies that have heard caterpillars and butterflies for the past 20 or 30 years. Yeah, you got to back this up with some actual data. Yes. That would help. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But again, it is just another story. I mean, ultimately, I mean, see, that's the thing is that, you really got to get over that first hump, which is that there isn't anything but a story. The idea that there's a reality out there past the story, that's just a story. Yeah. You know, and and that's the big one. After well, that, the rest is kind of easy. Yeah, but also, <laughs> once you acknowledge that there's a story there, you have an ability to realize, again, we're using Stonian primitives that you're uncomfortable with. I'm trying to remove myself from some of those Stonian primitives. Um, How about if we use the word gendo instead of Stonian? Well, because I think the Stonian encompasses more than just gendo. So gendo doesn't talk yeah, I, about I, the future at all. Gendo doesn't talk well, about the associated well, with the societies that come well, out. Well, no, the it doesn't. But no, but it doesn't. But I do. And it makes it Stonian, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Yeah, I do occasionally think about what I say somewhat. No, I figured you did. It's just, it sort of doesn't feel, like I say, I'm, I'm really uncomfortable with promoting me. Yeah, but you know, I'm just not comfortable with that. You've got to get the memo, Heron. That's what you're actually going to probably be doing, you know, I mean. It, yeah, yeah, I know. That's why I'm, be- I'm, as I say, a part of me is beginning to sort of think I'm going to have to come to terms with this, mm. you know, and, uh, but I'm, I'm not having an easy time of it. I'm telling you. <laughs> mm. In any case, so, these kind of experiments, although relatively abstract, may yield fruit and will certainly no doubt be something of interest for listeners potentially in the near future. We had a, we've had a few new listeners recently who have befriended both you and me on Facebook and a group of them I suspect probably aren't real listeners, but a small number of them. What have, is a real listener? What does well, that firstly, mean? Someone who's not going to at random points post shoes on your uh, Facebook feed probably actually is a human being with foibles and something underneath it as opposed to a single photo on a Facebook page. Um, I mean, you and I have lamented at various times these entities that seem to appear who probably, well, at least we become suspect of them initially. We have had a number, though, that I actually haven't befriended who you have befriended just because I don't think these people are real people. And I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not sure if this is an underlying pattern. The woman's name is Kaylee Newbound. Yeah, I vaguely, re- I've seen that name. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Kaylee started. A- I, listen, I'm just trying to get as many friends as I can. You see, I'm, I'm not almost doing that coming anymore. up. Yeah, you're going the other way. I'm going the other I'm way. To- 
Yeah, no, I'm I'm almost up to 700 now. I invite you robots out there, anybody, <laughs> join me. Yes. <laughs> you, you do seem to have befriended a number of, who also befriend me, funnily enough, a number of, like, female avatar people where I start to wonder, although our once listener, perhaps no longer listener, Marie Camacho Chang, you know, f- fitted this category as well. Does yeah, he, I don't really give a shit. I, I, you know, <laughs> you'll befriend anything. I, I'm looking for 700 right now. Uh, <laughs> you, when you get to 1400 and the USA election comes around and you start to realize that you're dealing with just <laughs> rabid partisans. Yeah, yeah, and- yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. Well, the thing is, uh, the nice thing is there, there are probably 50 names that I know. Yeah. And if I don't know them, I'll just get rid of them. Yeah. You know, I'd be easy to cut it down to just the ones I know. You know, that'd probably be less than 50, I would yeah. imagine. What struck me about Kaylee was similar to Marie Chang, as she is now. She discovered Stone Ape because her boyfriend has listened to it for a couple of years. Ah. Kaylee also appears to be, I could be completely wrong with this, but she appears to have a young child. And she appears to be in a part of Missouri that I have lamented about through previous folk, exclusively men previously, who have contacted me from this part of Missouri looking for any possible means of intellectual discourse. She emailed me over a two-day period roughly 40 questions that were very specifically oriented to topics that I had discussed on Stone Age. And maybe she did the same with regards to you, I don't know. No, okay. nothing. I've got nothing memorable okay. except, you know, I just did number uh, 690. <laughs> What's 690 stand for? Like I say, I'm approaching 700. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. You're just counting the numbers. It made me realize, actually, that from, from our listener Rick's commentary that, you know, perhaps we should consider that some of our discussion is appropriate for children, or perhaps we should at least acknowledge I wouldn't that. say it's inappropriate for children. Yeah. I would say if they were sitting with uh, an adult who uh, was an appropriate listener for this material, that I would say, shit, yes, any kid. Hell yes. 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 But but Since you've said it, let's say fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. This one is getting the E tag, folks. It's explicit, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Fuck yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What because else is there to say? You know? What strikes me as fascinating is that the conversation that you and I have is actually – an important vista for a group of listeners into conversations that they are lacking in their own environments, yeah, yeah. but also that they take on to others and that they bring loved ones into. They are listening to it and then they say, you know, other, lover, partner, what have you, child, come and listen to this as well. Well, yeah, if you, if, if, yeah, if you hear something that makes that much sense to you, shit, yes, share it. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I, I wouldn't push people. I mean, it, yeah, I wouldn't even suggest that. No, really. I'm not, I'm you know, not suggesting yeah. people do it explicitly. Yeah. I'm saying people are doing it implicitly. Yeah. And when people ask me what the value is of Stone Ape, I have listeners and examples to point to. Yeah. Well, I would just say listen to it. If yeah. you get anything out of it, cool. Yeah. <laughs> if not, yeah. then it's probably not for you. Yes. <laughs> it's real simple. Yes. But for some people, they apparently get something out of it. Mm. Who the hell knows what? Well, Clearly, they get something. <laughs> and it's interesting, actually, because through the questions that I received from Kaylee, I realized that a lot of the things that you and what I... Is, so wait a minute. What do you think? So she asked you 40... You got like 40 questions? Yeah, over two days. Over two days yeah. about specific topics that uh, 
we had talked about or you had yes. talked about yeah. in Stone Age. Yeah. And what did you think when you when you got the first question? Was the first question a good question? What was yes. the first question? Yeah. Oh, I can I can even ask. Oh, well, no, it's not. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. But okay, so these questions. So this isn't a a, a she bot. I mean, this is actually somebody who's listening. She introduced herself by saying, my boyfriend has been listening to the podcasts for longer than I have, but I've been listening for roughly a year on and off. I just now decided to look all this up on Facebook, though. How has your quest for daily podcasts been? How is the weather in Australia? And so it goes on. Okay, so she's current on all this stuff. Okay, so welcome, (laughs) Bailey. Thank you. (laughs) Did your extra toe hurt when you walked? Why do you think the guy wanted the domain name so bad? Yeah, he couldn't just change the name of his project. And so they went on, and they went on, yeah. and they went on. Well, that's kind of interesting. Those are kind of weird questions. And well, clearly. I mean, a group yeah. of listeners yeah, will independently little... cultivate their own weird questions. Yeah, well, of course they do. They're all a bunch of brain-damaged language. What monsters. I found fascinating <laughs> was the, um, the final thing that we rested on was my use of the term Reaper to implicitly mean Grim Reaper. Uh-huh. And that was like the last question. I haven't heard anything from Kaylee ever since. <laughs> but I clearly I had satisfied her questions for that period of time. Oh, so you answered her questions exactly. and, and she's yeah. been quiet and yeah. so she has some more questions. Exactly. Well, if you have any more questions, Kaylee, write Tom. Yeah. And if you have Heron specific questions, write Heron as well. And write me too. Yeah. yeah. Shit, call me, but text me first. <laughs> And introduce yourself. I'm the person that asks Tom all those questions. Just say I'm Kaylee Newbound. I'll know immediately who you are now. But it interests me, actually, that there are a group of listeners who are explicitly extroverted in terms of their asking questions, and there are a group of listeners that are introverted in their asking questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. a lot of people won't ask anything at all. Just listen and uh, get whatever they get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be in, yeah, I suspect that's the vast majority of people who, who don't respond one way or the other. Mm. But it is curious, actually, because through the toing and froing, and I mean, the questions indicate how all over the place they were. How what? How all over the place they were in uh, terms of, yeah. you know. But it is interesting that, you know, maybe a lot of listeners have a lot of questions. I mean, truth be told, it's not that I'm negative or jaded, but in general, <laughs> if you want to ask these Oh, I am. Yeah. It's okay to be negative and jaded. Yeah. I just call it being experienced. Yeah. Jet lag Tom, just having stopped, stepped off the plane in Sydney, is probably exactly <laughs> the person you want to be corresponding with with regards to these questions. Tom, working at Netflix, well, I'll get around to answering the questions, but maybe not in, in near real time. So the opportunity was there. But yes, it's... There's no longer, I mean, I guess when we started doing this thing, I had a demographic or at least a sense of what, who the listeners were. <laughs> really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I now it's gone did, on, yeah. and now there are iterations of, <clears throat> yeah. you know, people that have listened to the C Realm or the Psychedelic Salon or Model yeah. Radio listeners or Stone Ape, you know, sorry, Noble Ape devotees or, yeah. you know, there are a variety of folk through these mellows that have come at various points of time. We've got people that started from day one and people that have come to it. Are yeah. any of the ones who started from day one oh, still yeah. here? Poor Brian Hancock, our listener in Hong Kong. Okay. Devoted listener since day one. Really? Born in South Australia. I met him at a barbecue. Uh, uh, he came to the Model Rail Radio barbecue, but he was already a Farrah Stone 8 listener by that point. Bunch of people. <laughs> Mike Pentagon, See, the guy this, this makes, it's, it's all worthwhile. Yeah. You know, it, it makes like all the bullshit you put up with in life when you get there are some people, you know, <laughs> who actually respond to this exactly. shit. You know, yeah. uh, thank you. Thank yeah. you for uh, being there. Yeah. 
No, I mean, I, my perspective is actually... Of For being stuff, here. <laughs> of the, the stuff that I have done, Stone Ape exists as a body of work, I mean, I work together, obviously, that has inspired more than enough people to justify its existence. I think so. Yeah. Well, like I say, I'm happy, really. I mean, I, I actually am already done more than I could have imagined. I mean, I know there are at least a couple handfuls of people mm. in the world whose lives I have significantly improved and helped. Mm. You know? I don't know how many. You know, five, ten, whatever. You know? But it, just the fact that I know I've done that. I mean, some people have influenced millions of people. Yes. You know? But that's cool. Uh, but I'm okay with, you know, what, and anything you get is good. So now we come to the point of the recording where I ask you, associate it with Meetup, associate it with ah. Gendo for Kids. I mean, what's the direction? I went, your- I went to um, a Meetup this afternoon, actually. Mm. Um, and, but I apparently misanalyzed uh, the situation. I thought there was going to be an opportunity for me, you know, that there would, everybody would get like two minutes to, to introduce themselves. Yeah, Not yeah. always the case. Yeah. Well, yeah. And there were too many people there, but I did manage to get in about a minute and a half. Okay. And, um, what was the meetup specifically? The meetup, there's a, <laughs> how much I know. Uh, it's produced by, actually, I was surprised at how well produced it was. Mm. It's some nonprofit, uh, basically, that's just there to put people together, but they have what's called Free Lunch Friday. Okay. And uh, it, it costs like 20 bucks if you just show up. But okay, if so it's not really a free lunch. Well, no, it is if you pre-register. Huh. Y- and so I didn't really give a shit about that. It would save me a meal anyway, you know, and I figured, okay, I'll go have lunch and mm-hmm. see what's going on. And... um and and there was a lady who gave a talk. It was mildly interesting. There were about seventy people there, I mm. guess. And uh, and I did get a minute. And I, let's say I, said I took maybe ninety seconds to throw out some stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I talked to a couple people who wanted to see more and stuff. And I just told them to contact me through Facebook, and they all went, "Okay, got yeah. it." Yeah. yeah. So. And what, what were their particular things? Uh, one guy uh, was a guy who was relocating from San Francisco to L.A., mm. and he's got his own consulting company, which does something with mid-size startups. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm not quite sure what. It's kind of mixed metaphor there, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah startups is not – but anyway, dealing with people who are, you know, entrepreneurs, people mm. who started businesses and they're getting bigger and, mm. and need help to get it organized, you know, and do something with it. And then another guy was one of the guys who actually produced the thing. And, you know, we'll see. I, I may go to another one. The lunch, oh, I was really surprised. It was really good. It was, uh, you know, s- stir-fried shrimp with <laughs> fried rice. and Wow. <laughs> Your kind of stuff. I'll tell you, man. <laughs> if that's their standard lunch, I think yeah. they do it twice a month and it's free. So. Yeah. And next time I'll... Again, I, I met a few people, uh, and I was just sort of taking it in. Uh, the next opportunity, I'll be better prepared for that Certainly. particular audience. And, and maybe by the fourth or fifth time, you'll be able to be the speaker. Whatever, you know. Yeah. yeah. What uh, did the speaker actually talk on? It was a woman who uh, does, I guess you'd call it wardrobe consulting. Wow. Um, on the internet now. Uh-huh. I mean, she used to do it in person, but now she's doing it on the internet, and she's developed a whole series of uh, videos and audios and 
stuff, uh, you know. And she looked good. She dressed well, so yeah. uh, she's making making enough money to put on a show anyway. It is something <laughs> I wonder about, actually, because I am just like the classic plaid-wearing schlub. I mean, my perspective is that fashion has just completely missed my generation in large part my gender. And maybe I need someone like that to, particularly if I get a PR person, I'm going to have some... You know, I mean, yeah, if you're going to go public, yeah. you probably, you ought to at least be conscious about how you present yourself. Exactly. You know? I mean, like Bruce Damer has this whole hippie tie. He comes out looking like the grand, grand yeah. psychedelic wizard. And, you know, that's him. Yeah. Yeah. That's his, um, yeah. his game. Yeah. It's not my game. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that puts me off, actually. Yeah. Well, again, it makes me think identification with the story. Hmm. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, that's, you know, he's now given two TED talks. They yeah, exist no, he's doing, no. Well, so. that, listen, that's the way the world works. Yeah, man. yeah, I, I got it. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe I should look up this LA image consultant of yours, the LA fashion consultant. No, person. she only works with women. Oh, what yeah. the? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that thing? was asked specifically. Don't doesn't doesn't this apply to men? And she said, "Well, of course it does, but I don't work with men." Could you recommend someone who works with men? Um, no, I'm sure they won't have any trouble finding them on the internet. Apparently, this is a billion dollar is industry, yeah, and she's right. actually doing fairly well in it, according to her. You know, you know uh, I I probably spend I don't know maybe <laughs> at least probably at least a thousand dollars every few months on clothes. Yeah. Yeah, and they just replace the clothes that I'm wearing. Yeah. I mean, it's. I'd love to have someone who looked at me and said, "You yeah. are blue and aqua." Yeah, you know? and it's, not, it's more than just. Well, it depends on your environment you're playing in too. Yeah. See, because that's something I'm looking at. If I'm going to go public, if I'm going to be marketing me, hmm. then I need an, a wardrobe. Hmm. I need an identifiable yes, yeah. uh, uniform, yeah. basically. You know, and. Uh, now the Germans had a good good sense of uniform, didn't they? Hmm. I was thinking Burke and myself. I mean, I'm, <laughs> my perspective is if I ever give a TED talk, I'll give it in a Burke. There you go. I, I thought a pimp outfit as well. I thought like a pimp wizard thing would be very good. But that's almost that's almost like satirizing Bruce Damer, and I don't want to really go there. <laughs> that's a good one. I like that. Yes. Yeah, that would be something I could seriously consider. I might do all my videos that way. Well, I also like Groucho glasses. Mm. That works. Yeah, I have a lot of hats, which I wore a few of them in Australia, and I think... Uh, <laughs> a good hat and Groucho glasses yeah. together. Yeah, mm. that's quite a combination. I've got a Cuban cigar too, Heron. I've got the Mexicans. No, you don't. You got it through customs? Yeah, no, it arrived. I put it in dirty washing and came through fine. Did really? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. That's the kind of radical you're dealing with, Heron Stone. <laughs> okay. So I would have just smoked it there. Yes. I didn't want to hang out with this. I, this guy was a bit too... Yeah, see, I wouldn't even... I would have given it back to him and said, give it to somebody who can appreciate it because you're wasting it on me. <laughs> would you actually smoke that thing? Would I actually smoke a Cuban cigar that a fellow had passed me? It was... Well, you've got to what, dissect what, this whole thing the here. Point of smoking a cigar, if you're not a regular cigar smoker, uh, what could you possibly uh, get out of it besides a sore throat and a cough? You've got to look at it in terms of these circumstances. I mean, this guy was desperately looking to bond with me. 
do you owe him, you know, your your body's well-being? I took the cigar and I left. I bowed. I took Thank the cigar you. and I left, I you know? Honored him. Yes, yeah. exactly. The nearest trash can and be, or give it to somebody else who will enjoy it. Actually, that would be good. If it really is that, that's something <laughs> special. You, you know, he, well, only for people in America. Yes, yeah. yeah, so I should trade it for fashion advice, shouldn't Right. I? Yeah, right. That's it. I mean, can you authenticate that it really is a Cuban cigar? Oh, yeah, but Australia's um, smoking policies, I mean, it's basically in a this-thing-will-kill-you tube, literally with brown lettering, and then it has an unmarked band around it that identifies that, yes, it's a Cuban cigar. I mean, these Australia's so completely anti-smoking that you can't actually, like, they basically have closed off areas. Really? They're anti-smoking. Yeah. In, in addition to all this other stuff yeah. they got going yeah. on. <laughs> so, yeah, the whole nature of the way tobacco is sold here, in uh-huh. Australia, apparently, I mean, in the airports where they have the duty-free section for the tobacco stuff, you need to walk into a closet before you see anything. <laughs> well, they, they ought to make it so you have to go see a doctor and get a prescription. prescription you know, for tobacco. Yes. yes. You know, I mean, if you want to smoke, it's fine. You know, smoke. No, my, my, Actually, my, I think they, it. I think they had legislation like get that. A per, just like marijuana. Yeah. You know, just uh, get a prescription for it. No, yeah. they had legislation where you had to. I can't recall, <laughs> but they, that legislation didn't pass. But anyway, this thing is no, like that ain't gonna go over. <laughs> this this no. tube says you consume <laughs> this product, you die horribly, and yeah. <laughs> Which is probably the way that I got it into the U.S., because the U.S. didn't even, you know. Anyway. So, Heron, I am out of topics. Do well, we have... were right in the middle of Kaylee Newbound, and then we... I thought we finished did, Kaylee Newbound, and we, we moved into your meetups, and then we... Oh, okay. I, all right. Okay. I just... I still had her page open. I was just... <laughs> <laughs> have you seen any good movies recently, Heron? Uh, as a matter of fact, I have. Uh-huh. Oh, would you like me to... Why not? Well, uh, Deus Ex Machina. Oh, interesting. Uh, had some embarrassingly bad parts. Yeah. Have you seen it yet? Is this the new version or the old version? No, the new one. I haven't seen the new one. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, anyway, I, I generally enjoyed it and thought it was pretty good. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not going to tell you, if you haven't seen no. it, I, I won't mention one of the things I enjoyed the most about it. But uh, I'm, I'm going to go and see Mad Max tomorrow. I'm looking forward to seeing that yeah. one, too. Yeah. I think we're going to go see the 3D version, which is never as good for me as it is for my spiritual advisor, but we're still going. Well, you can get off on everybody else's adrenaline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there was an event while we were in Sydney associated with it. They took over the opera house with their big cars and guys flailing around and these kind of things. So. Mm. But we weren't actually there. We were just in Sydney. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, uh, Deus Ex Machina, I... Gets the hair and stone approval? Gets a, gets a thumb up. Yeah, what do I do? One, do I go do zero to five, or do I do yes or no? Do I want to do two valued logic, or, well, I'd got to go for five valued logic, I guess, so. Yes. I give it a four. A four. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and then I saw another movie, a Korean movie called, mm. uh, Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, and Spring. Mm. And it's about a monk who lives on a temple that floats in the middle of this tiny little lake in the mountains. Hmm. And somehow he has this child that he is raising. And it's about this child as he grows into an adult Hmm. in this situation. Hmm. And uh, 
I liked that a lot more in the beginning than I did at the end. Uh, <laughs> well, the concept sounds beautiful, but actually the execution maybe. Well, well, the the execution is really enigmatic mm. because, and I don't think it's a, a, a spoiler to talk about it either. In, in that um, there are not 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 just hints. I mean, there are just direct evidence that the master, the, the temple master, uh, has some sort of psychic transhuman abilities. Mm. Okay. So, I mean, once, once you enter into that realm, then almost everything else, you know, you just, you can't count on anything anymore. Yes. <laughs> you know, so you just sort of have to take it for what it is. Yeah. And, um, so that's, that's the way I, I watch it. I say in the beginning, uh, it wasn't quite clear to me. I thought it was odd the way, well, so I, maybe I am spoiling it a bit, but it's too late now. <laughs> we can move on quickly. I can give it a brief film well, review if we yeah, don't want to ruin. Well, yeah. I don't care. Fuck it. You know, don't listen to the next minute or so. <laughs> there you go. Um, anyway, it, it's just, um, it, it became clear when I look in retrospect that clearly this master was doing shit that normal human beings couldn't do. Mm. You know, it was sort of subtle at first, but it, it got more, more apparent. There is a phenomenon though, where, and I found this with the trip to Australia. I found this when I went up into the cyber hippie community. There's a period of time that you can spend, which for me is about 10 days where you can be completely reprogrammed to actually see or appear to see what you would previously think of as being paranormal effects. And oftentimes, well, it can happen in hours if well, under can, the right if, if, circumstances. In the right circumstances yeah, yeah. For the right people, yes. Yeah. But over that kind of time frame, yeah. you can do it as well. Yeah. Sometimes quite subtly. Reality is a pretty slippery concept. It is. And <laughs> oftentimes, I mean, particularly when you look at these kind of monastic environments, yeah. Yeah. this is the, the nature of the... Well, that's the whole thing about being a hermit. Yeah. You know, it, it's an entirely different environment with no, almost no... I mean, there's external input, but it's pretty much... It, at my command. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And most people live really at the command of somebody else. Yes. Some other agenda. You know, Tuesday night, 830. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so on Netflix, I watched a documentary. It's an Argentinian documentary called, well, I will say it in English, The Escape of Hitler, mm-hmm. which is associated with Hitler or the, the possibility of Hitler's escape. Yeah. That struck me because I'm, I'm certainly in my, <laughs> in my possibilities. I mean, we've had some posts recently from Bob Bottrum associated with the death of Bin Laden. And I think the death of Hitler has similar oh, undertones, yeah, yeah. particularly associated with... How convenient the, that his body was just the way it was. Well, yeah. no, the body actually has never been identified. The Russians took some remains, which were then tested by the University of Connecticut in 2009, and it was found to be a woman who's skull was shot through the body of hitler you know the body that you see the burnt out body is actually of goebbels it's not of hitler Uh so the whole thing associated so so yeah nobody there's no actual evidence of his death then yeah okay well no there never has been i mean the whole no i don't know the manufacture of the death of hitler is a very curious thing i mean it's very similar to Bin Laden. it's a nice story yeah exactly (laughs) yeah really people go for this this is something that's very useful for uh for peddlers of soft soft R realities such as yourself and myself, that there are these stories which are very clearly stories that have absolutely no connection with any ascertainable <laughs> well, matters of fact. And from yeah. that point, 
Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the story, ladies and gentlemen. Well, but that's it. That there are no cases where that's not the case. It's just a matter of degree. exactly. No, but you can. You, you <laughs> you know, can that's it. We're stuck exactly. with stories. Exactly. <laughs> but sometimes these stories are actually very clearly like have no tangible connection, and that's the the start yeah. of the story. Well, but of course, it, and of course, it doesn't make any difference because we haven't been trained to make that distinction. Yeah. You know, between the story and the sense experience from which we build that story. Yeah. But that's relatively simple. Like I say, I can imagine a generation of children who, who could be brought up understanding that and uh, who just simply would bypass most of human history. So one of the things I did in Australia, which wasn't on my notes but worthy of mentioning, is that I met this woman who's genetically related to me. Her husband was, well, he's still kind of a consulting lawyer. He's not a practicing lawyer. But he and I had a discussion associated with Nuremberg, because I said I have a passing interest in Nuremberg, not just because it was obviously the victors on the vanquish, but also that it was a strange series of ideals that I think are possibly still applicable to this day, if used independently of you know, a particular nation-state. He asked me if I thought <laughs> that they were particularly soft on the Nazis at Nuremberg, and I said unequivocally no. My interest in Nuremberg, I mean... They killed a bunch of people at Nuremberg based on acts. I mean, some of them killed themselves before they could be killed. <laughs> but um, yeah. you can't really think of them being soft on these people. One of the most curious fellows at Nuremberg was a banker who was actually in a concentration camp and pulled out of a concentration camp in order to stand trial at Nuremberg because he was associated with the Nazi regime before they took a dislike to him and put him in a concentration camp. <laughs> Wide variety of ironies associated with really? yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, I simply oh, watched yeah. a documentary associated with Nuremberg, but also a documentary associated with, well, the last, like, Nazi war criminals they're trying, that they have tracked down. And these people are, are there really... Any left now? Well, these people are sadly, like, police officers that checked IDs Never saw people being shot, but are still yeah. being uh, put, involved somehow. Yeah, yeah, that are being and the train it's, conductor, right? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, on the train, exactly. <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay, so there are no really high value no. uh, instigators left. They're all dead. No, they're all dead. Yeah, they're all dead. And then, but there are still people. There, there. There's still people that are about. standing trial. There are still people that are chasing people and getting people to stand trial. One of the individuals in the documentary was a, a I don't know what level he was, but well, there was, was something just in the last couple of months, wasn't yeah, there? That, yeah. that broke. Yeah, uh, yeah. Is that the well? That yeah. wasn't in the subject of this documentary. This documentary followed uh, half a dozen men who mm. were all connected in some way with something, but none of them seemed to. I mean, these are the kind of people that would have been, you know, not even. There were secretaries in the office there. Well. Not quite to that level. There, there's a distance between lining up people and shooting people and secretaries in the office. <laughs> yeah, probably. But, you know, it's interesting, actually, the kind of <laughs> continuation of this thing. Um, I'm trying to think of other than Second World War-related documentaries if I've seen anything recently uh, worthy of note. I do watch a lot of stuff on Netflix, but um, nothing has percolated that far. Yeah. I probably should keep a book. Well, when you see so much, you know, yeah. uh, it starts to get hard to be really that new and that good. Yeah, I mean, these are the ones that have stuck in my mind, but it's also yeah. associated with other things that are, that are going on. Well, it's apparently. the same thing with me about movies, you know. Yeah. It's just, I'm so picky, and I've, you know, and there are movies that are okay and you know at least i didn't feel cheated on these last two 
you know, I mean, I figured that's a good recommendation. I didn't feel like I really wasted my time watching either of those. Mm. And the Korean one is in- enigmatic, uh, mm. just because, because of the mixture of the supernatural with uh, the natural. And yes. It's, a, yeah, it's kind of an interest, interesting film. Heron, it's getting hot and humid here. I don't have any more topics. Do you have anything that you want to, to raise? Well, we can do it next time, but I'll throw it out and see if you were... Okay, see if I bite. Throw it out. Yeah. The, uh, it was a remark or a question a couple of weeks ago on uh, the Stone Ape uh, Facebook page. And the question was? was about... Uh, well, I don't have the whole thing. What I've got written here is earbooks versus iBooks. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, you, you know... Um, and uh, that's something that... That I've got some real definite opinions about. Well, so. you tend to be more iBooks than earbooks, right? Well, it just depends on what you're reading. Yeah. Fiction is earbooks. Yeah. Nonfiction, for the most part, is iBooks, unless they've got a really good, you know, unless it works for the year, too. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like books on philosophy and shit, uh, that has to be read. Or from me. paper, or from, from well, not words. paper. I don't from give a text. shit. Sorry, no, from text. From text. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, as opposed to listening to an audio file. Yes. But I listened to uh, the Da Vinci Code and enjoyed it thoroughly. Oh, <laughs> you know, I yeah. thought, wow, this is fun. This is great. Yeah, I'm. I'm good this, reader. I make know? this very easy. I don't listen to read text. I if I'm if if I'm consuming audio. I'm consuming audio podcasts, and when they're read audio podcasts, I typically don't enjoy them as much as freeform audio podcasts. Well, doesn't it depend on what they're actually saying? No, not at all. <laughs> no, not at all. And okay. really, the so the read texts that I do are again all nonfiction. In fact, almost all my consumption is nonfiction. Uh, aside from a small amount of non-fiction. Uh, yeah, I don't do much fiction at all anymore. Yeah. So hence I don't listen to my, although I do use some of those, uh, lectures, you know, I listen mm-hmm. to the, you know, the teaching company's lectures and that but stuff. Yeah. By far, with ease, what I consume most of is video and, um, mm-hmm. YouTube primarily yeah. and Netflix yeah. periodically. And that, I think, is something that I, my whole world has changed around that. In fact, oh. my spiritual advisor and I, We'll sit up in bed, and I have subscribed now, in large part, actually, to find topics. I mean, if you find me daily topics plus weekly topics for various recordings, I'm now subscribed to... And paper subscriptions, like magazine, paper magazine subscriptions, are just, like, ridiculously cheap currently. I got Scientific American for, I think, $14 a year. <laughs> I mean, But it's who a- the fuck wants to go... See, I'm getting science news, and they're still sending me the fucking paper thing. Yeah. I don't want it. Well, I donate at all. So basically, yeah. I, I donate more in tax yeah, based right. on paper yeah. weight than I pay yeah. for it. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I do with my science news. I give them to a lady in the office who gives them to her grandkids. Yeah. So <laughs> in that regard, yes. But in terms of actually finding cogent articles and topics, I'm not, I'm finding Scientific American has just seriously gone like in some, I mean, it's in its last throes, basically. Really? Which is why they charge $14 for a year for people. Yeah, to yeah, that's a little... To justify oh, their... I mean, it's mainly ads now, too, so that's why really? it's the price that it is. Because uh, the advertisers yeah, are actually paying yeah. for it being printed. Um, <sighs> well, is there an online edition? Uh, yeah, well, that's more problematic. I've, I've kind of had a falling out with the various online versions of Scientific American over the past 10 years. I'd much rather have a paper version. Yeah. 
See, the I've subscribed. I've been a like forty year subscriber to Science Certainly. News, and it's always been a weekly. Now, a couple of years ago, it changed to uh, yeah, every two as, weeks. As you say it. Yeah, uh, and um, and I recently re-upped and just I just there's a scientific there's an, an addition for the iPad. It's perfect. Yeah. It's just it's just awesome on the iPad. Yeah. I don't want the fucking paper thing, but I can't even get them to stop sending it to me. So, fourteen bucks for Scientific American, an additional four bucks, which apparently is like every two weeks. Although I haven't received my second week's worth, is American Hot Rod, a magazine that I never would read. Uh, an additional four bucks was Playboy, so I got Playboy. Is I that got, still being published? Yes. Again, the same thing. So for about thirty dollars. I got more than 10 magazine subscriptions sent to my house. <laughs> Insane. And I don't need to donate at all yeah. for probably a dollar a magazine. Sure, yeah. Packs. Yeah. And yeah, no, it's absolutely astonishing. These paper publications, I mean, I think it's the end of paper publishing. I think I'm surfing on the last wave. Uh, yeah, I, there's some, there may be, well, you know, there's still harpsichords around. So yeah. there may be a reason to have some paper stuff, but I there's guess. There's no harpsichord but- player magazine anymore. So. Well, no, I bet you there is, you know? <laughs> well, maybe there, I don't know. Yeah. But, but I mean, there are certainly lots of harpsichords. I've known several, mm. you know, who had their own harpsichords and who... No, without question. No, I know people that have harpsichords. So, but yeah, the so, fact that there isn't a magazine for them. Well, that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, well, well American American potato potato online growers, now. I, See, I went through a... 64 publications. American Potato Growers is still a publication. <laughs> no American Tomato Growers. I would have bought that, but no, American Potato Growers. <laughs> How much longer? Who knows? The funny thing is, um, the electronic radio control planes magazine that I got had an article on the first page that was something that I talked about my brother, talked with my brother about, namely, the fan, uh, the F four Phantom two planes, the Vietnam era um, yeah. uh, fighter bomber planes. Uh, they had a, a plans for that, which I'd been talking to my brother about only a month before. I opened it up first thing in there is exactly what I talked to my brother about. Sometimes these things, these synchronicities occur, Heron, and particularly when you're paying four bucks for a year's subscription. Four bucks. I mean, it doesn't even make logical sense. That's not even pub stitch. Well, that's the beauty of this. Uh, you know, it's all going to be free. The only reason to publish anything would be because your heart is in it. No, the only reason to publish in these circumstances is to get advertisers and maintain a publication number sufficient yeah, well, to maintain yeah. the advertisers at the price. Well, that's still There's there. There's no mystery to this thing, Hera. Well, not for, no, if you're playing that game, but they, yeah. Yeah, they're changing it for themselves. You yeah. know, they don't know necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, that's all, that's all the, um, caterpillar business yes. way looking at it. So about six years ago, maybe five years ago, the brother that just recently got married got me a subscription to Playboy. And the thing that I found most curious about Playboy was how bizarre looking the women were. The articles are fascinating. Yeah, it had some whole, good writing in it. Yeah, This whole perception of American beauty a, as it is through Playboy is really yeah. very curious. Oh yeah, they've, they've published some great writers. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a bunch of old Playboys, including, um, we've talked about this previously, including, uh, John Wayne, an interview with John Wayne where he's like really blatantly racist. Uh, <laughs> an interview with Spear was the. Yeah, Spear, the architect. Yeah, the architect. Yeah. And a variety of other interviews that are just, I mean, 20 page interviews, serious, deep interviews. Yeah. Yeah. 
and articles that were, you know, I mean, they had some good stuff in there. And, the ads and even of that generation great, of Playboy is fascinating. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're marketing great to, titties, you know? It's just, well, that's interesting because now that whole thing has changed. Oh, the I know. The yeah. nature of what is considered beautiful in Playboy is a oh, very different thing. Than oh, I bet. I haven't seen one in many years. 30, well, so, so you're getting current up, Playboys yeah, now? Four bucks for a year. Four bucks a year. Okay, it can't be long for the world, yeah. Yes. Yeah, four bucks a year. Is it still published as expensively as it was before? No, it's much I'm, thinner. All of them much thinner. I used to get Scientific American. It's four pages, thinner paper, yeah, not, like a, not glossy uh, photo paper. Yeah, no, I mean, They're I remember... newsprint now. <laughs> Scientific American used to be 200 plus pages. It was a serious magazine. If you had yeah. a stack of 10 of them, it would reach up a foot sometimes yeah. because they yeah. were so thick. Yeah. Now and it's nothing. Good paper, too. Good paper, and now it's just ads, you know? Now, the, all these publications are on the way out, and that's the way yeah. they can charge four bucks. Yeah. It's, well, everything's going to end up online, and if it's important, it'll be there. Yeah, well, I, I Like don't Science News is there, and it's just great online. Yeah. It works awesome. But I don't do know you, why they waste their time with it. But you pay a membership fee in order to get into it, right? It's not Yeah, I pay online. 50 bucks a year. Yeah, to get it. Yeah, yeah. it's well worth it. Yeah. Well, look, having paid my 14 bucks for Scientific American, I feel well and truly ripped off. Four bucks for Playboy, less so. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, well, you know, it's just, it's the only place I've found where I can just get a good general overview of everything that's going on in all the hard sciences. Yeah. No, Scientific American is certainly not that. No, 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 no. That's never been that. It's been, no. It once was, it once was a lot better than it is now. Well, it's just, it never served that mark. I mean, these, this, uh, well, it's changed its format recently, yeah. but basically it, it had, uh, it was, it used to be 16 pages and it had maybe 30 articles. Yeah. You know, I mean, there were just the, the barest, you know, just, not the barest, but then it had one long article that yeah. took something in depth. And then it had all, just an overview of geology or computer science or yeah. uh, mathematics or biology yeah. or something, you know, that week. It's certainly uh, represented in your journals. I mean, your journals actually oh, really? contain analysis associated with that. We've talked huh? about that previously, particularly yeah. associated with computer science. I mean, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And gate yeah. logic and building yeah. robots and this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's been years and years since I've been reading science news. And I got to say, that's uh, certainly as important as Alan Watts was. Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it didn't happen all at once like Watts did. But but uh, over the years, getting a good overview of what's going on in the relatively hard sciences uh, feels, feels comfortable, <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's so much bullshit floating around. Yeah. You know? And there obviously is stuff I don't know about that's hush hush. Probably the military is working. Well, most on of, it. most of commercial science is pretty hush hush. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there's a lot of stuff that, you know, that who, who knows, you know, but, but, uh, I mean, well, in any case, I just feel, I feel that, uh, yeah, my reading science news over the last 40 years has, well, certainly shaped my thinking about the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, with that, Heron, I'm going to have to call it a night. Pleasure talking as always. And uh, next week, my wife is threatening me with a classical music concert, which means which means we may have to record early if we record on Friday. Whatever, we'll, we'll work it out. We'll work it out. Talk to you there. Okay. okay. Good night.